So I'm Let's at Seven Eleven, and I'm going to get the chili dog, and uh, they changed the dispensers, and so I have I have the hot dog, and it's in the box already, and uh, and it's flipped up a little bit, you know, because you split the box open or whatever and hold it, and then you put the nacho cheese and the chili on. I go for the nacho cheese first. And I'm used to seeing the thing, you know, the little nozzle right there. And I'm like, where the hell is this thing? So I press the button and I hear it churning. And I'm like, oh, it must be just prepping the cheese or whatever because maybe it got cold or it has to loosen up. And I'm holding it and I'm holding it and I'm holding it. I'm like, when the fuck is this cheese going to come out? And then I pull the hot dog out after I get done pressing the button. And the cheese has poured out of the back. And there is a fucking pond of cheese now. And, <laughs> and I don't know what to do. There's no napkins. And I see a small wad of napkins. I grab that. I scoop up the cheese very delicately. I fold it over. And I go to lift it to throw it in the trash. And all the cheese starts coming out the sides of the napkin like a blown up burrito. <laughs> so oh I, I, grab, I grab one of the gloves that you use to grab the hot dogs with or donuts, whatever. And then I throw the napkin in that in order to keep the cheese in there. And I throw it away. But there's still a glob of cheese. And I was like... Uh, thank you. I gotta go now. <laughs> just, <laughs> fucking idiot. Don't work. <laughs> uh, that's right. Everybody. I say that with love. Every opportunity I get to be embarrassing, uh, I'll take it. If I need <laughs> a chance, take it. <laughs> Over some chili dog. <laughs> uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to Hit Rewind. This segment is going to be the final wrap up of 1984 films. One of them we couldn't get. Uh, I had it, and for some reason it didn't link up to Jacob in time, so forget it. It's Moscow and the Hudson. I think it's a pretty damn good, uh, more dramatic role for Robin Williams than. Uh, well, no, this at this time he was experimenting a lot in the drama. It's so weird people forget that he bounced in and out because he had done Garp and he had done Popeye, which is a weird. It's not really funny. It's just more of a strange musical. And then there's Survivors we did last year. Uh, what else we got? Did I miss one? Uh, let's see. Um, this is pretty early on, so I don't think he's done a whole lot of movies yet. No, I mean, there was Good Morning Vietnam. That's in 87. So that, that's later. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's later. So I guess this is just the beginning. I was but wrong. yeah, Moscow on the Hudson's good. It's just about uh, a musician who defects to America on a uh, special trip from Russia. They uh, They go to New York to perform in their orchestra. And he uh, uh, wants to be an American, so um, he's constantly being watched by the KGB, and they're trying to get him back to Russia. And he just lives out his life. They finally give up, and it's just the American dream. It's sad. It's sweet. It's it's a really strong performance by him, and I, hopefully I can get this movie to you soon. Ah, comrade. <laughs> I will enjoy it so much. I look forward to it. Alright, so of the other films that I had on our list for the final uh, run of 1984 films, what do you want to start with? Let's start with uh, Swing Shift, because that one's most fresh in my mind. Yeah, that's the one I watched last as well. Uh, I, I heard legends of there being a completely different cut of this that Jonathan Demme put together, the director. Uh, this is for Jonathan... Oh, wow. This is Jonathan Demme's like, big breakout like studio film before that he had done independent movies. But... Uh, Goldie Hawn got nervous and she says they're going to sell us as a Goldie Hawn film and I'm not the main character I'm sharing it with Christine Lottie and so she, yes. she took it back and she re-edited it and cut out some of Christine Lottie's performance which I believe she still got nominated for an Oscar for but that's kind of a bummer I, I heard that there's a cut of it out there somewhere floating in the you know the dark web that I would like to see it yeah, just like the Superman 2 Richard Donner cut and the uh, Justice League Snyder cut. 
Well, those two we got satisfaction of, but I don't. We haven't got satisfaction on Swing Shift yet. Or yeah, and of course we haven't seen you know Justice League uh, Snyder cut yet until March of next year on HBO Max. Well, I'm reading it right now. Uh, the director's cut of Swing Shift is one of the holy grails of cinema. Talked about, but never shown publicly, it survives in a faded work print which has been combined with materials from a high-definition print of the studio cut to produce a version that matches Demi's exactly and is more than 60% HD. But where? Where is this? Now, Jonathan, Demi's dead, so I don't know where... Like, who could continue this? I mean... Oh, my God, they showed not. it. They showed it at Northampton, uh, Massachusetts... Wait, when was this? Whoa. In 2017, it was free admission, open to the public, and uh, so far, it's the only way they've been showing it is in the... I want to see this. Because I think it's a really no, good movie. Now. Yeah, this is a story yes. that no one really talked about at the time, is what happened while all the men were off in World War II. Well, not all the men. Exactly. Most of them, yeah. And, and they never really told this story. We see the posters, you know, you know the, the, the what's the, we can do it, you know, the powerful woman. Yeah, poster. Rosie the Riveter. Rosie the Riveter, thank you. Um, you know, that's really all we knew about, but this goes behind the scenes of what it was like for these women to keep America going while the men were off at war and how lonely they were. They didn't know if they were living or dying. And like this one, and spoiler, one of the husbands is not dead, even though she's told that he's dead. And that changes the story big time because you think it's going to go into a romantic, uh, comedy almost a lighter affair. And then it gets more dramatic because it gets complicated when he's not. Exactly. Yeah, you could tell. Like, um, oh yeah, no, Holly Hunter was in this too. She was one of right. the working women with Golden Hawn at the same uh, plane factory, uh, manufacturing uh, building. And yeah, you could tell. Like, she kind of has like almost no hope hearing about uh, Holly Hunter's husband dying. You know, she's right behind her, putting her hand on her shoulder as she receives the news from the uh, uh, military officer. But she's just like, oh my gosh. And I think this kind of like helps her segue into you know liking Kurt Russell. Funny, it's kind of funny how they first met too. She was like at drilling; she almost drills right into his back. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, curious. Oh my god! Well, I'm curious though. Is um, I believe at the time they had both come off of a divorce, so he was married to Season Hubley, who most people won't know who that is, but she was uh, in Escape from New York. If you remember when he it takes a brief solace from the creepoids oh, yes. coming, coming up from the sewers, and he goes into that building, yes, that that's his that was his ex wife, Cesar Hubley's the blonde that gets captured. Yes, that's right. Oh yeah, no, she got. I'm sure she got eaten by those weirdos. She got pulled yeah, in right through yeah, the floor. Yeah, that's a horrifying. Wow. Uh, some people consider that an action movie. I consider that more of like you know the way um, uh, Judgment Night is, where it's Sus- an action thriller, suspense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, Kate. Hudson and uh, I want to say it's Oliver Hudson's dad, one of the Hudson brothers. They were a comedy group. Was uh, Goldie Hawn's first husband, I believe. And then you know they both freshly had been divorced, and they meet on this film, and it was just like you know a meet cute, and they're still together to this day. And I don't care what those fucking rags you see at the grocery store say, because they've been saying it for the last fifteen years, every other month. Oh, they're they're splitting up. They're not, and they're awesome. Exactly. <laughs> Otherwise, that would be over the. That would definitely be, uh, you know, some big news, especially in the whole celebrity affair uh, circle. But um, yeah, no. Again, this overall, like, it had it's like real feel good moments. You know, the women are getting it done. Goldie Hawn like becomes you know head of maintenance. 
she really comes up in the workplace. You know, she's finding herself. And then all of a sudden, boom, Ed Harris is alive and he comes back and it's like, oh, crap. Yeah, it throws everything into upheaval. And it's just, we forget, you know, what they did for us. And then they were taken out of it like that. All the men are back. You have to give up this thing that you worked so hard for. Uh, it was a exactly. thankless role. And I just uh, I really wish we could treat women. I wish we could... Do they honor them? I want to know. Is there a big honorary statue or museum to the like? You know how it was in uh, uh, League of Their Own. That's probably the closest I can say with this movie. Those two are very uh, closely tied. Yeah, no, we'd have to. I'd have to look it up for sure because there definitely should be something. I mean, other than the Rosie the River postcards and you know commemoration coins and whatnot, I'm like, there's got to be something else. Um, as far as it goes, uh, the supporting actress. Uh, I, I forgot her name. You just said it a minute ago. Christine Lottie, very tall, brown. Yeah, Christine. Yeah. Yes, of course. She was always shamed just for like going out and working at a club with uh, Fred Ward, who was her then again boyfriend. And again, it, it was she got shamed for like every little thing, and she wasn't even she wasn't even, all she was she was a lounge singer, a lounge singer. That's it. Yeah, she wasn't a tramp. And then at the end, you know, going through their whole debacle. Um, her possibly hooking up with Kurt Russell once Ed Harris comes back, and then Goldie Hawn's pissed at her. At the end, they all just like they're just hugging it out because they've been through so much, you know, while World War II is going on. It's like, yeah, the men are coming home, but they had their own internal struggles, like just to keep and hold things down, especially after the little uh, argument after the bar when they were getting drunk. Yeah. After they were celebrating the war being over. So yeah. it's like, damn. It was a real good, feel-good movie overall, and yeah. I enjoyed every second. Of and it does tell you that not every man went over. They they hardly ever talk about this. Is some people were too injured to go. Two people, some people were too old to go, so they had to pick up the slack. And there's a subconscious thing. I they didn't really say it, say it, but there's a subconscious thing going on in this film where I feel like a lot of the men feel bitter or broken because they weren't acceptable to go fight with the rest of the you know like they were looked down on like you poor thing you couldn't go over and defend our country yes even that uh yes just like at the bar scene when uh Kurt Russell's about to get in a fight with that guy you know he's just looked down on just because he has a particular heart condition yeah but he's a hell of a he's a hell of a musician too it's like his real passion was for you know playing jazz do you think he was really playing because it looked real I Knowing Kurt Russell, um, I would have to say I want I want to say yes. I'll have to look into it, but man, he could definitely play it off like he's actually playing. I'm looking here. So but, this um, this was a huge flop. This was supposed to be a Christmas Oscar contender for 1983, but because uh, the the recuts and reshoots that Goldie Hawn needed that it got pushed back to April and when it did come out no attention really was given to it even though critics loved it um, and it bombed horribly it cost 15 million dollars and only made 6 oh yeah that's a bummer yeah that, doesn't, that movie deserves a re-release and it again it happened with uh, Scott Pilgrim and it happened with a lot of good movies just bad release timing alright so what's our next oh. film uh, our next film is Splash. It is a Tom Hanks classic. Yes, and this is the one that really made him a star. We talked about Bachelor Party a couple episodes ago, but that one did well because of Splash. If Bachelor Party had come out first, I don't think it would have been well received. You know, I mean, it'd probably been like a cult hit, and that's about it. Right, yes. As far as it goes for, um, yeah, and as far as it goes for Splash, like, watching it on Disney+, Plus, I will say this, 
I really felt they didn't have to do too much editing. It's like maybe the nudity parts. I'm like, okay, that's understandable. It's Disney. But as far as like some of the adult jokes, yeah, no, that's still there. Yeah, I was a little shocked by the whole John Candy (laughs) dumping coins on the ground and looking up women's dresses. There was that. And, of course, there's him, like, you know, mentioning his, like, article in Penthouse and then, you know, talking about his penis in Sweden. Well, and there's also there's, there's a thing that happens in this movie since they edit out or they CGI over her nudity, which I never thought the nudity was necessary. I didn't I didn't get why that. So I'm glad the way it is now. Yeah. Um, it takes you out of it, and it, it it takes out the sweetness too. But there is a thing that happens immediately after that, which bothers me to no end, is that she's an innocent. She has no idea what she's doing is provocative, and she walks up completely naked, and all these guys starts like taking pictures of her and getting really close to her, like really just fucking sleazy, and I, that really bothered me. But the rest of the movie is just great. Oh, absolutely, of course. That's like yeah. Sadly, in this day and age, a lot of men are going to act like that, and. Of course, that was the comedic part of it. But Eugene Levy, oh my god, I love Eugene Holy Levy. shit, does he have one of the greatest performances, <laughs> and he turns it around at the end and becomes a hero. I love that. Exactly, because uh, as far as ethics go, I mean, head of the Scientific uh, Paleontology Committee, the one that's overseeing her, he wants to go, he wants to just, like, dissect her. Yeah. And cut her up and do, like, figure out everything. Well, of course, he wants to figure out, you know, as far as reproduction goes. He wants to figure that out, and then, of course, dissect her and cut her up. But it's like, damn, it's like, dude, no. She's a living, conscious being. We can't do that. And so he ends up helping them out. He makes up for what he did. I can't believe this. I'm looking at this right now. Now, I knew that Richard Gere and John Travolta had both turned down Splash. What I didn't know was the female actresses had turned this down first. Tatum O'Neill, Michelle Pfeiffer, Julie Louis-Dreyfus, Jeannie Francis, Melanie Griffith... Diane Lane, Kathleen Turner, and Sharon Stone turned it down. Holy, <laughs> holy crap! Sharon Stone too. Wow. Like I said, I, Michelle Pfeiffer, man, I'm pretty sure they would have killed it. Yeah, I, and all these are great choices. I just maybe it was uh, the nudity or the or the uh, the heavy special effects in that one sequence because it had to be kind of a pain in the ass to be soaking in that water forever with the the tail on you. Had to weigh a ton. Oh god, yeah. And the, and then in and out of that outfit, too. It's like, God, that's got to be a pain in the ass to get on. You know they made a sequel to this. Did you know that? No, I did not. It was a Disney. What? So this is the first uh, Touchstone Pictures film ever. Uh, Disney was trying to expand beyond PG. And, I mean, this is, I think, technically PG, but they were really riding that line. And then uh, <laughs> the irony is that four years later, they did a TV movie sequel for the Disney Channel. Um, not Disney Channel, but... Um, the ABC Disney movie of the week kind of thing. Right. Hey, was it that one where that kid who's it, it was about like a young teenage boy? Who, uh, um, no, they've been living on a deserted island hideaway, bored of his life on the island. He admits he misses New York and his older brother, Freddie. He has the magical ability to view images in water and communicate, but run her own. Oh. Yeah. I don't think it has anything to do with kids. It just has, it has about going back to New York. Oh, Okay. Oh, all right. I thought it was like some kind of, like, years down the line, there was a, it was about a kid who was like in swim class, and he wants to get better, but then he realized he's actually a mermaid. He was a Oh, I remember that. So, that was a Disney Channel movie. What the hell is that called? Um, I'm sure it's on I, Disney Plus. Yeah, I can even I remember, remember the either. poster of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. But, um, I thought that was it. <laughs> I guess they were trying to remake this a few years ago, and they had Jillian Bell and Channing Tatum set to star. And it, uh, Channing Tatum was going to be the merman. And 
but it just it never happened. Oh. What is Channing Tatum Damn. up to? I feel like he was making like four or five films a year, and all of a sudden he just stopped. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, he's probably taking time off, like you know, helping raise his kids and everything. It, that could sometimes do it. I mean, yeah. some people will choose their family. Ralph Macchio did that. That's true. Um, so he hasn't made a movie, live action movie, in three years since Kingsman Two. He's done some voice work. And that's it. He has not really worked in three years. So maybe he's just with his family. Yeah, exactly. And you know what really annoys me? What Now that Disney has the rights to X-Men, all the uh, comic book... Uh, Gambit! All those properties. Come on. Exactly. Gambit. <laughs> Gambit. They can get the ball rolling on Gambit. Come on, people. Hey. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Splash really is necessary to Tom Hanks' career. Because without it, I, I just don't think he'd be a star. He he do well. I watched it. I watched his very first performance ever last night in a horror movie from 1980 called "He Knows You're Alone," and he's only oh, wow. in it for five minutes, but he fucking rocks it. He stands out. He's so lively and fun. He's having a brilliant conversation, and then he's done. And I'm like, no more of that, please. <laughs> well, yeah, no, he's a highlight, and I'm pretty sure people saw a notice of that, and we're gonna cast him based afterwards. I hope. Yeah, well, Booze um, and Buddies yeah. really just made him a household name. Oh wow! I'll have to yeah, I'll have to look into that one too. You've never but seen yeah, Booze and Buddies? <gasps> okay, I need to see it now. Okay, yeah, it's uh, uh it's all on YouTube. <laughs> I'll send you a couple episodes. It's silly. It truly is. It's nineteen eighties um, kitsch, but uh, it's about these two guys who are about to be homeless in New York. They're artists, I believe, and they have a friend who says they can live in her building, but the only way to do that is it's all female, and they have to pretend to be women. Oh, so like a, li- a little bit of that formula from some dra- like it hot. Yes, it's Ooh, it's clearly hot. a love letter to some like it hot. Okay. Oh my god. Well, especially after your reaction, your gasp, like oh, yeah. yeah. this was very important to my childhood. We watched it all the time when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. No. Hey. Same. Hey. Same with Hook and Masters of the Universe for me. So I get you. I'll have to watch it. Okay. But yeah, honestly, I just love how his character. Uh, is portrayed, you know, he's just like, you know, a kid, you know, at the beginning, he's like a 10 year old kid getting lost in his dreams. Then he meets the mermaid because he falls overboard because he actually sees her in the water. And then years later, he's a workaholic to the point where he doesn't even have time for his love life, tries to stay on top of things. And then all that changes once he meets Daryl Hannah and he just starts living. Yeah, so. it's, it's a sweet performance. It's sad at times, but he's so jovial and. The way he handles he handles dialogue better than almost any actor I know in a natural way. He's not doing it in like a stage way, which some more like assertive actors like Alec Baldwin or Kevin Spacey handle dialogue. He just spouts yeah. it so easily and so much fun, and I, he's still such an amazing actor. He and Tom Cruise, your name must be have to be Tom, are like the only holdovers from the '80s that have been consistently successful. Oh, absolutely. I mean, especially when they work with a particular director. Right, too. yeah, like, yeah. They really bring out the best in them. Um, yeah, but again, it's a classic, and I will. I always enjoy watching it. All right, what's next? Okay, uh, this one was a bit of a surprise. I, was expect, I didn't expect it to uh, be as dramatic as it was, but uh, Teachers with uh, Nick Nolte, Ralph Macchio, and uh Crispin Glover. Yeah, and Joe Beth Williams, who is a standout in this. I still can't believe she got naked. <laughs> Just... Oh, gosh. 
<laughs> well, actually, you okay, know what? Yeah, now that I think about it, it's filled to the brim with actors. There's Art Matrano, who became like the nemesis in a couple of Police Academy movies. Uh, there's Richard Mulligan from Soap and uh, Empty Nest. He's the tall, goofy guy who is like homeless and or mental patient. Whenever he becomes a teacher, um, yes, it's it, it, it's like Swing Shift is a slice of life movie. And I watched Fame the other day, and I didn't realize that slice of life movies were so successful and popular at the time. They're not really done anymore because that all seems more television. Um, but it's just about a city uh, a school that is you know, on the verge of falling apart. And it's just about these teachers and the students, their relationship, trying to hold it together. And I thought it was a beautiful movie. No, it definitely was. Um, I definitely saw where it could be uh, more comedic and then times where it gets a little bit dramatic. But I feel like it does balance. It does kind of balance itself out. Oh god! But the ending, though, that's definitely where it had to get comedic. As you mentioned, Joe Beth Williams just getting, you know, stark naked right in the hall, and Nick Nolte's like, "Oh my god, what are you doing?" But, but there's uh, a, there's a, there's like a point to it. It wasn't. Her. Yeah, that's the thing. It wasn't exploitation. Is that there was a point oh. to it? Yes, exactly. She's just trying to, you know, have him find his courage. You know, and she was trying to explain that throughout the movie because he was that go-to guy. He was like, you know, what's the particular word I'm working for? Stoic, you know, unflinching and causing trouble with the the establishment, which needed to happen. But yeah. then he just kind of got too lax. And as far as it goes for the school board, the school board is just trying to keep, you know, all the problems like uh, hush hush, just so they can continue doing what they're doing. Right, and they want him I mean, to. Like, yeah. he want, they want him to either take somebody down with him, or he's going to eat shit. And he won't get his. No, he does have tenure, right? But they're going to take it away from him yes. anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, Joe Beth Williams uh, convinces him that it's all smokescreen. I mean, you can tell there's like some like you know rowdy kids. There's some kids who are like well disciplined, and heck, <laughs> one of one woman in particular that I just like I couldn't help but laugh my ass off was one teacher was going over Crispin Glover's. Um, what was his name? Mr. Rothburn? Rossberg? I don't remember. Yeah, anyway. Uh, he's going over his paperwork, and he, like, he just points to, uh... He's, like, pointing, like, right in front of, uh, Crispin Glover's paperwork, and then Crispin Glover just bites him. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah, it's... But later uh, on, you start to... Go ahead, sorry. Yeah. Later on, you do understand, like, Crispin Glover, he suffers from anxiety. Yeah. And, uh, quite a few... In quite a few of you, uh mental deficiencies and people just like don't want to take their time to help him out yeah. like, even with Ralph Macho's character he's a troublemaker or a uh, rabble rouser it's like but he has he comes from a really broken home and he still can't read he can't fully read even though he's like technically past the class it's like he got passed just so uh, oh gosh what's, I'm trying to figure out the particular plot of the movie I'm trying to re reword it better rather than just uh, the school board letting it happen anyway so they don't close that, close down and go under. Right. They have to have a certain amount. It's like uh, accreditation. Yes. That's yeah. what it is. And uh, I feel like this led to some... Because this movie is actually really successful. It's actually one of the very first movies I've ever seen in the theaters. It might have been like the fourth or fifth one. We saw it at the drive-in. I don't remember with what else. But um, I think because of this being successful is how we were able to get like... Uh, uh, lean on me and stand and deliver and stuff like that. It, even uh, it might even lead to Dead Poets Society because it showed that these teacher movies 
uh, as long as you balance the relationship and you can aim it at adults and teens uh, commercially, that it can make money. And, and I think that some of the studios kind of paid attention to that and said, ooh, we can make something like this. Oh, it di- oh yeah, definitely. Um, heck, even with uh, Nick Nolte's character, you could tell he was that guy, but he has just kind of gone lax and kind of fell off. But then he started caring again, especially when it came to uh, Ralph Macchio's character, you know, not learning how to read. And, yeah. of course, with that investigation going on. Uh, and then he realized, um, as far as it goes with uh, Ralph Macchio's family, like his parents are like very selfish and more about themselves. Like uh, as soon as the father comes in, the mother's like complaining that he can't be there legally, you know, because of the whole uh, separation and um, oh gosh, restraining order. Right. Yeah, because he beat him. Yeah. Uh, during that, but it's like, dude, no, your kid is the more important thing here. It's, you're at his school. Except, no, they bicker and argue, and then Ralph Macchio speaks up and yells at him, and then his dad smacks him. So it's like you can tell why he is the way he is. I think I think a smart way of going about this also is you can't replicate Fast Times at Richmond High very well. But if you take it in a different direction, because that, that had drama in it, but it was more comedic and fluffy and more aimed on the teens. But they found a way, I think, to move this up a little bit. But also they were smart enough to make the score. Uh, the songs in this are, you know, hip and uh, of that moment and pretty cool. We have uh, 38 Special, Joe Cocker, Night Ranger, Freddie Mercury, ZZ Top, yes. Bob Seger, The Motels, and Ian Hunter. And that's pretty damn cool for a, a, an adult skewing movie. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, and it does kind of give you an insight of what teachers would have to go through. Somewhat. Wow, I didn't realize this. This is from the same director. He did two movies in one year. Lonely Guy, we discussed in our last episode. This guy directed so many fucking movies, it's insane. His name's Arthur Hiller. Wow. I think he was the head of the Directors Guild of America for a while. But um, in the 80s, well, actually, let's start. In 76, it was Silver Streak, then The In-Laws. Uh, we have Author, Author, Making Love, Romantic Comedy in 1983, The Lonely Guy, Teachers, Outrageous Fortune, See No Evil, Hear No Evil, Taking Care of Business, The Babe, which is about Babe Ruth, Carpool, and Alan Smithy film Burn Hollywood Burn. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah, and that's just a no small idea. period of time. Yeah. Dang, man. He kept himself busy. <sighs> so what's the next film? Okay, next film is a classic, warm-hearted, you know, baseball film of, you know, a player who should be retiring but is just now starting and showing him he's showing that he's still got it he's still got something before he could retire uh, right. The Natural with by with Robert Redford I put this off forever this was something that we had on tape when I was a kid uh, I had 36 or so years to watch this movie and I just didn't want to I seen the end I was like yeah that's good enough it looks so stuffy it looks so just boring when it comes to sports movies I tend to want either high drama um, like Eight Men Out or something like that or uh, more comedically I usually prefer the comedic ones and I was just astounded by this movie and I hated myself for not watching it before but maybe I wouldn't appreciate it when I was younger I was so just well, like oh my god this movie's so fucking good <laughs> <laughs> yes oh no I think I remember seeing this for the first time in I think oh yeah a junior year uh, we were watching it was an English class and I guess we were discussing a particular subject in English, talking about character, and uh, um, and yes, this was the one that she decided to put on. And from the very beginning, you know, it's 
starts out great, you know, a young farmer, you know, playing catch with his dad, you know, really developing his skills, and, you know, because he's got a natural talent for it. And then, sadly, his, fat, his father passes and, uh, right underneath a tree on their property as they were doing some work, and then that tree was struck by lightning. And from that, and right then and there, he decides to uh, make a bat uh, from that tree, thinking it's like a gift from his father. Right, you know, it's, it's, it's got the. It's funny. I didn't realize it has a little bit of the Superman and Excalibur uh, mythos put into this. because uh, well, I mean, only in I the fact that, it that way. Well, I just think about the fact that you know the 1978 Superman. You know, it has that quaint old timey feel to it, and you know his father dies uh, out of the field. And that was just a small thing, but the Wonder Boy. Um, it, it feels like okay. So the lightning hitting the tree is kind of like to me. And it creates the the special wood that he makes his bat out of. For some reason, in my mind, that feels like Excalibur getting the sword out of the lake, or, or not Excalibur, King yes. Arthur getting the Excalibur out of the lake. Oh, yeah, pulling the sword out of the stone. Yeah, and then the team is called the Knights. It just it felt like that, like it was trying to be a metaphor for King Arthur and Excalibur. Yeah, somewhat in that aspect. Now that you mention it, yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah, that's uh, uh, yeah, he calls his bat Wonder Boy in that. That is his, is his Excalibur. Yeah. And also, I, I felt like, yeah. Oh. I just oh, thought they were ahead. really, really smart before we move on. I thought they were really smart. It's hard to do these kind of movies when you keep the same person instead of casting younger um, to make it believable that they're young. But uh, Barry Levinson directed this in such a way at the very beginning of it. Uh, in shadows, far away, with the light hitting the lens or whatever, so it kind of obscured a little bit their their faces, so he didn't look 45 or whatever he was at, the, at that time uh, when he's trying to play an 18-year-old. So he was really smart in doing that, because this is before CGI can just erase that. Yes. Yeah, no, he did. He definitely seemed a lot younger before we finally see him again, recuperating from his gunshot injury. To think, yeah, that lady was just hooking up with that guy who was supposed to be like Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth. Then hooks up with him later, and then all of a sudden, do you think you'll be the greatest baseball player ever? He's like, the best there ever was. Bang! Like, what the hell? Yeah. Did they ever Why? explain that? Did I miss it? <laughs> yeah. No. They it, they don't like throughout the movie. No, you don't realize you don't figure out like what was the motive behind all that. Um, but yeah, like the way it played out, you know, he's like still he's like as soon as he comes in, he's like benched because he's older. He should be close to retiring. Um, you know, people are put ahead of him as far as his position goes. And then once he finally gets his moment to shine, pow, the ball he hits gets struck by lightning. And it's like, that is the ball. It's like, no, it isn't. It's just a string of, a thing of yarn. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then he's like getting fame and notoriety. He's really helping his team out, you know, having them become better players. Of course, after Michael Madsen's character dies. Which, no, how does he die? I don't understand. It seems like you would just hurt yourself or break something. You don't fucking die by going through a wall. I mean, unless, like, you know, maybe something impaled him and maybe right his heart. Okay, okay, yeah, I didn't think yeah. about that. If, if it split in half and a piece of the wood went straight through him, okay, there you go. Yeah, or, like, just the way he fell on it. Yeah, it's weird. But, um, yeah, seriously, uh, you know, as he's, like, going going along, you know, Glenn Close, his girlfriend from when he lived on the farm, uh, you know, comes into his life. You know, she's supporting him from the sideline. And that kind of gets him his mojo back after his stint with Kim Basinger. <laughs> but, uh, she stole yeah, my like, mojo. 
<laughs> B-Way's going to steal it. It's going to be Kim Basinger. <laughs> exactly. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, come on. It's Kim Basinger, man. How do you say her oh, fucking name? Does anybody know? Tell me right now. Is it Bassinger? Basinger? Basinger? I don't fucking know. I'm, have I been saying it wrong this whole time? I literally I, thought it was Kim Basinger. I think it's Basinger and Bas- or Basinger. It's definitely one of those two. Okay, so it's not Basinger it's or Bossinger. <laughs> it's like yeah, Dumi Moore. Dumi Moore? Dumi? Demi? Demise? More? Dirk Dirk Moore? Oh, yeah, but watching this, uh, the part when Wonder I broke, I just realized, like, holy shit, this is what basketball was taking. Took a cue from. It is, yeah. They they, <laughs> they they steal a lot of uh, the ending from <laughs> the natural. Yeah, and again, just the way it played out, Glenn Close uh, coming into him in his hour of need after Wonderboy broke, and it reveals that that kid right there is his kid. I'm like, well, yeah, we kind of figured we could. Yeah, that one's that a little too ourselves. on the nose. It's like, what's taking him so long to figure this out? <laughs> It's like, dude, you, it's like that was the only girl you were interested in back in the day. Of course it's going to be your kid. <laughs> I think it's yeah, amazing. Just, uh, that okay. People forget that Robert Redford and Warren Beatty were the biggest actors in the 80s. And they both took long chunks where they disappeared. And uh, they can get anybody they wanted in their movies. And they could, they, they could cost as much as they wanted it to. It didn't matter because everybody knew that it was going to get the awards and, and do okay. And and, and your absolutely new generations probably have no idea who Robert Redford is outside of Captain America. <laughs> yeah, so I mean that at least was a good point. Bringing someone like him into a movie like that, you know, definitely introduces you to the next generation. And then you can look him up and realize, oh wow, look at all these wonderful classics. Yeah. Oh, and also, uh, yeah, just again, such a heartwarming ending where he's just playing cat at the end of it all. He's just playing capture the sun on a beautiful lit day, just like he did with his dad. How can you get more heartwarming than I that? I know. It's, Especially such, a, about America's it's such a sweet pastime. ending. Because, well, you know, they could have ended it after he gets the hit and it destroys the lights or whatever. And I don't I don't think that's, uh, I don't think that's the way they should have ended it. It's so sweet that the way they do it. Exactly. I mean, come on. It's like you want to see him reconnect more with his, with his son. You want to have that moment. And that was it. Ugh. Mm. And I think now we're going, to, going on to our last movie. Yep. Yes, okay, I had to save this one for last because I'm a huge fan of his and he was my favorite musician of all time, more than anybody else. Prince's Purple Rain. This was his masterpiece album, no less. Yeah, I'm down with his music around this time. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not down with this movie. As far as the movie goes, it's like, eh, for what it is, it's great. But in like certain aspects, if you look at it, like especially acting from Apollonia or... Uh, other characters, it's like, yeah, no, I'm not convinced. Yeah, well, there's so many but, vile characters, and there's long stretches where it's dull, and it's like, I almost wish he had just done a really badass concert film with Morris Day in the time instead of having a plot, because I just didn't think it worked. Oh god, Morris Day was hilarious. He, uh, he's the fucking best <laughs> part of this, honestly. He's so much fun. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, even that one scene where he and Jerome are just hanging out. They're walking down the road. He's trying to go after Apollonia, and all of a sudden, a girl comes up and just goes, "Morris!" And they just like stop, like cartoonish, cartoonishly, just stop right then and there. Like, "Oh crap, we've been had." <laughs> then Jerome just tops her in a dumpster, and it's like, "Oh god, what?" A yeah, there's some is stuff it? in this that's just truly heinous. But uh, it, it's, it's not. It's weird. This movie made seventy million dollars. 
Do you have an idea how much yeah. money that is in 1984? And, and there's so many movies from 1984 that are fondly remembered and loved and talked about all the time that didn't do any. Streets of Fire is a cult movie that everybody talks about now. It only made like $12 million. Nobody really talks about Purple Rain with the exception of right when he died. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, quite frankly, no, I didn't feel that way because I'd always see it uh, being celebrated on BH1, you know, an anniversary special. And watching it for myself, uh, again, I can see how impactful it was. It's just an awesome. It it's all it is. It's almost like a freaking concert. It just with uh, every song, every performance. Uh, it is all the way it plays out, though. It's like semi autobiographical because Prince did kind of came from that kind of home, right? Uh, well, his father was a reverend, and his father would never let him play music. So when it came to playing music, Prince would like sneak in and play the piano and learn it himself. But as soon as he found out his father was coming home, it's like, oh, crap. Uh, very strict upbringing. That much is certain. And, I, I mean, it was pretty cool to, uh, again, just to see him uh, just play live and just do all the crazy stuff he does, especially with the opening song, Let's Go Crazy. That just, like, you know, gets people into the palm of his hand right then and there. Yeah, this That's is... that particular song you got to start off with. Yeah, this is one where... Uh... There's so many hits that came off of this. This was in theaters for a while, but the album is where um, it just stuck around for years because I'm looking at the tracks right now that came off. Let's Go Crazy was a hit, Jungle Love, uh, When Doves Cry, Darling Nikki, um, Purple Rain, I Would Die For You. I don't know about the rest. They all sound familiar, but I don't know if they were hits or it's just because we had that. I think we had that album when I was oh, a kid. Oh, Baby, I'm a star. Oh, God, that's such a fun yeah, one. I remember too. that one. But, uh, yeah, it's just so funny. This, this is so massive. But I really wish this was his only film because the ones he did after this are <laughs> even worse. Is Graffiti Bridge a sequel? It is, right? It is a sequel, but good God, you're right. Was it terrible? Had some good songs on it, though, but oh, my God. Was Under the Cherry Moon was after this one. And so he only did three movies, right? Because one was yeah, a concert. Yeah, Under the Cherry Moon. Yeah, I felt like Under the Cherry Moon was actually, 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 from what I did watch, I thought it was enjoyable. All black and white, kind of set in that uh, a certain time period. Yeah. But um, yeah, no Graffiti Bridge. I'm like, is this over yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah, same characters. You know, the kid and Morris, like they have their own clubs. But anyway, to this original movie again, just every single performance, even more stays in the times. Uh, again, I couldn't help but get a kick out of it. Those are some, like very catchy, great songs, and again, yeah, the acting, uh, especially from Prince and Apollonia, it's just like okay, yeah. Well, it doesn't help we when they they have so many better actors around them. Like I can't, so this is Clarence Williams' big comeback. Um, he had been linked yes. on the Mod Squad, but he hadn't done much for a decade that people noticed. And then after this, he started getting more roles. And most of them, yes, they were heavies. He was usually a villain or something like that. My favorite performance of his is <laughs> from a movie called Tales from the Hood, <laughs> where he's the a hood, wraparound. Yes. There. You remember that one? <laughs> that was a good one. Yes, he's... Yes, oh God, he's a mortician. He owns that funeral home. and he's. Oh my God, yeah. It, that was great. Oh no, one of my favorite roles was uh, Half-Baked. When he uh, plays uh, Samson, a drug dealer. Um who ends up being the villain of that movie. Oh, I didn't remember that. I gotta see Half-Baked again, which we'll get to eventually on this. I remember him in uh, Reindeer Games, which that movie's ridiculous, but he's really fucking cool in it. 
Oh God, yes. <sighs> yeah. So I think that's about it. Uh, like I said, Moscow and the Hudson we can get around to, and we're saving some of the sci-fi movies for a special we'll do uh, down the road where we discuss the sci-fi of 1984. 85 is going to be crazy. This is when comedy explodes, and we're going to get new sci-fi films. Teen films are going to blow up that are more than just sex films. Uh, animation is finally going to make you know breakthrough in in the cinemas outside of just Disney. 85 is a really interesting year and that is going to be the wrap up for season 1 we'll take a break for a little while and then we'll come back with 86 in the new year uh, thank you everybody for the first 8 months or so of support this show it's really starting to boom now um, I think changing the name helped but uh, I think having a reoccurring format is what really helped us because you know you and I were always just all over the map just whatever interested us that day yes exactly we, you know, it's just like Whatever's on the menu, we'll have it. Yeah. <laughs> Sushi, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> but it also, it, it seemed to lack focus when now people are going on a journey with us. Yes. Of course, uh, it's not, you know, heading into Mordor. And not, you know, <laughs> no, I was going to say the same so, thing. <laughs> you know. um, so, yes, we'll be doing 1985, but for both Jacob and I, we, uh, we work retail in different ways, um, and we're going to be drowning, so we're going to be exhausted and not going to be a lot of time. So uh, probably from Thanksgiving till the new year, it's going to be kind of quiet on our front. Um, your warehouse is going to be booming, and my uh, store is going to be just insane. I just know it. Mm-hmm. Oh, especially now. Yay. All right, everybody. Uh, have sale, a good night. Sale, sale, <laughs> sale. <laughs> well, I'm worried about this. We, we, should, we should sell a lot of guns. It's starting to disturb me a little bit. Um, oh, God. All right, so we are on Facebook under Hit Rewind Podcast. Jacob, send us out. All right, namaste and good luck, my friends. And be excellent to each other. Hey, everybody, welcome to Video Night. This episode is going to be about... Heavy metal and horror movies. Why do they go well together? It's like peanut butter and chocolate. Uh, but first, before we get into the discussion, let's play a trailer for a few of the movies we're going to discuss. Hi. My name is Stephen King. I've written several motion pictures, but I want to tell you about a movie called Maximum Overdrive, which is the first one I've directed. Wow. <laughs> Stephen King novels and stories and I finally decided if you want something done right you ought to do it yourself who was driving I don't know it was my first picture as a director and you know something I sort of enjoyed it someone to do Stephen King right. You want a war? You got one. I just want to get the hell out of here. So come and spend some time with me and my friends at the Dixie Boy. Spend some time in the dark. Please don't let us be in the dark. I'm going to scare the hell out of you. That's a promise. You're going to get us in an awful lot of trouble, man. We already in trouble.
Maximum Terror. Jesus coming in years. Maximum King. Maybe tomorrow will be our world again. Dino De Laurentiis presents Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive. That's the first movie we're going to discuss, Maximum Overdrive, 30th anniversary of that movie. And if you notice in the background of that trailer, uh, you'll hear the music from Halloween 3. Very underappreciated movie, and that music is from the very, this is one of the best openings, I think, for horror movies ever. Our second movie is going to be Trick or Treat from 1986. As awesome as the new one is, this is the first one that I seem to remember. I think there's another trick movie out there somewhere. But uh, I've never seen it. This is the one that for the longest time, if you talk about trick-or-treat, you talk about this movie right here. Wake up, sleepyhead. It's party time! Rock and roll will never die. At least not this Halloween. Convert of raising spirits from the dead by incantations, right? Yes. I did that by playing a record backwards. Sammy Kerr, he's a rock and roll nightmare. I am a big fan of yours. I've got all your records. Shut up! And they is you. This message is meant for me. How can you listen to this stuff? Sammy Kerr. His fans won't let him die. He won't let them live. You should be loyal to your hero. Make it turn on you. Now, both movies were big box office bombs produced by Dino De Laurentiis, and um, they found a uh, huge call following later on video. Now, our third and final movie that we're going to get deep into discussion with, of course, we're going to mention The Gate, Come On, How Can We Not, or Dream Warriors, stuff like that. But, uh, and when I mention this, you're going to go, what is the connection between the two? Brain Scan. Brain Scan isn't a full-on heavy metal movie, but you can see a lot of the style of grunge and metal coming into this movie. And if you're a fan of Trick or Treat, you can see heavy influence of that movie on Brain Scan. Well, I have your attention. Please allow me to introduce myself. My name is Trickster. What was that film you were watching? Death, death, death. Death, death, death. Our tip of Lord. Michael's seen it. Go for it, man. Done it. Played it. Look, I've played them all. And just when he thought he'd die of boredom. Brain scan. The ultimate experience in interactive terror. Never leave home without it. <laughs> You're in the game, man. You're in control. You must think like a killer. Cover up any clues. Leave no witnesses. No evidence. A challenge he can't resist. It was so real. It was sick. 
everybody it's time to launch video night <laughs> it's our heavy metal Woo! horror episode my guest this week is ron ron and i do an episode or do a podcast called full throttle podcast full throttle how's it going ron? it's good if i still had hair man i'd be headbanging right now <laughs> if i could it wouldn't matter if i did have hair i'm almost 40 i'm not throwing my neck around like that <laughs> yeah this is true <laughs> um sad day <laughs> Uh, so, originally this started off as us, we were going to discuss Maximum Overdrive for uh, Full Throttle. It's a show where we take like movies and TV shows that have cool cars and vehicles in them, and basically we talk about them, and then we give you details on the vehicles. And we found ourselves going, well, it's just basically trucks in Maximum Overdrive. There's nothing really cool, per se. I mean, the, the, the one with the Green Goblin face is pretty awesome. But that's about it. Awesome. And then, it, it, like, I don't know how we came upon, like, the whole heavy metal horror thing. But we're like, you know, it's the 30th anniversary of Maximum Overdrive, 30th anniversary of Trick or Treat. And I thought, eh, for the hell of it, let's just keep expanding upon that heavy metal theme. And that's where we find ourselves today. Discussing these movies, uh, the core three, of course, are going to be the two that I mentioned and Brain Scan. But also, I, I figured, you know, we could touch upon, like, The Gate, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, The Dream Warriors, uh, you know, Alice Cooper being in horror movies. You remember when Alice Cooper was in uh, Prince of Darkness? I think he did uh, No More Mr. Nice Guy for Shocker. For sure. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that song. Song. Seen that song. She da she da chung chung wow. I'm really getting old now. Uh, oh, my dad no, just I don't think I've out. seen that one. <laughs> shocker. I think Shocker kind of sucks. It has a cult following, but I'm not a fan of it. Um, oh, was... Shocker. No, no, I'm at the other one. Shocker I've seen. Oh, we Prince, of that together. Prince of Darkness is awesome. It's um, hated by critics. Uh, it wasn't a very big hit, but I think it's truly disturbing. It's one of John Carpenter's um, kind of minor films. He kind of produced it himself. He went like with an independent studio. Um but this is like the pinnacle of like hair metal horror coming together, which do you think it's strange that it didn't happen before when it's like, um, if you look at heavy metal around the early eighties, where it was all like sword sorcery and fantasy and it was a lot grungier and darker. Yep. Yeah. I, I'm surprised there's never been a sword and sorcery heavy metal movie. I mean, there is heavy metal guitar stuff in, um, call the conqueror. But let's pretend that movie doesn't exist. <laughs> I think man of war needs to do their own movie and star in it. Yeah, I wish Dio had done his own heavy metal horror like fantasy kind of movie because him and Iron Maiden. Oh wow, what's the, what's the guy from Iron Maiden again? 
the character is it Vic? Oh, good lord! Uh, from okay, what are we talking about? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, <laughs> it's early, people. All right, so what I was thinking is, you know how there's the Jason versus Freddy move? What if? What if? Uh, they found a way to take the mascot from Megadeth and the mascot from Iron Maiden, put them together, and they fight against each other for rock and roll. I mean, I could dig, I could dig that. <laughs> but <laughs> let's get back on the on task here. Um, have you ever seen the trailer for Maximum Overdrive? Yes. Um, what the hell is wrong with Stephen King in this trailer? He looks like he has just done four lines of blow, <laughs> and he's just like, yeah, and just like all cross-eyed and staring off into the distance. He even points. He actually is pointing at the audience, but he clearly is pointing somewhere off the camera. You're like, who is he talking to? <laughs> he's talking to you. <laughs> he always looks like that, though. In every cameo he's done, he looks wild-eyed and weird. Well, I think it's because he normally wears his glasses, and you don't notice it as much. But when he's there, right. he goes, I directed for the first time, and I kind of liked it. I was like, you're not selling this movie at all. <laughs> <laughs> eh, it was okay. You know, there's worse things you can do. <laughs> What's those Muppet guys? Waldorf and, uh, oh. Stan anyway, I could see him having his own thing. with Anyway. Yeah, Stan, I think it's Stander and Wardoff or something like that. We're, we're mutilating it. Somebody Statler. Home. Statler. Someone's losing their mind yeah. at home. I'm a huge Muppet fan. Stop it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I could just see Stephen King going you know, back and forth with himself like that. Anyway, yeah, you know, gla glasses Stephen King and no glasses. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is it? Uh, I was reading the liner notes for the dark half uh, last night, and he was talking about how he even developed the book, is that he was writing the Backman books, and they were kind of darker in tone to what he was writing under the Stephen King name, and uh, some uh, fan had outed him, and he was threatening what is I want to let everybody know that you're Richard Backman. He's like, and? Uh, who cares? <laughs> so, uh, so, but he said anybody he, who knows him will know. Anyway, sorry, yeah, go on. But he said that he went into a different mindset when he would write the Richard Backman books, and uh, finally came to peace with it. And that's how he ended up writing. Um, I said the Dead Zone. I just said it a minute ago. What the hell is wrong with me? I have no Dark idea. Half. I've Dark been trying half. to figure that out for years, man. <laughs> Dark half. But you can see, like, this is '86, and he said himself that he didn't know what was going on when he was directing. I get the feeling that he had ideas, and the rest of, like, the cinematographer and the DP were like, uh, let's just try to mold whatever he just said into a movie. Um, because he had no clue what was going on because he was doing so much coke. Um, <laughs> you could kind of see it. I, I, I think I liked Maximum Overdrive better when I was younger, but now that I've seen, like, 100,000 movies, you know, in the same field that I know now what's what makes for a good movie, what makes for a bad movie, but Maximum Drive is kind of a guilty pleasure, I would say. More or less, yeah. Definitely not the best fare out there, I'll we'll say that. <laughs> no, but you remember when it came out, everybody like our age was like crazy about it. It's like, have you seen Maximum Overdrive? Or the same thing for like Highlander 2 and The Wraith, you know? Though uh, The Wraith is still pretty good. Um, hey, that's another movie from 1986 that was pretty heavy on the, the hardcore rock and roll. You know, I was just thinking about the... As I was going through these, uh, look, looking up crap. Anyway, how 1986, 85, 87, it seems like we've done a lot of stuff in that era. Is, is there some sort of supernatural thing going to us know. to it's that? Or, I don't know. Well, or is that just the few years where movies were actually good? Well, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> we were talking about this right before we recorded. Is For horror movies, for me, it's kind of faded away. Um, when yeah. uh, we were in like early high school, like freshman, sophomore, junior, you know, that era, we were watching tons and tons of horror movies, like catching up on everything we weren't allowed to see. And uh, I think <laughs> that era is special to us. You know, we're discovering movies from the 80s and early 90s. It's very important to us. And then um, 
I think it was after Scream is when everything started to lose it for me. Uh, special effects started turning all digital. Uh, everything was kind of self-referential to previous movies. Or it, then it went supernova with Saw, and it became like Gorehound kind of stuff. Which I'm not huge into gore unless you do it in a very creative way like The Thing in The Blob. You know, they, they brought special effects to a new, um, new threshold. And you saw things you could never see before. It's gross, but you're like, how did they do that? <laughs> There's a subtle, subtle element of comedy, if you ask me, for some of the movies we used to watch. Yeah, I, those are usually the ones today, that I watch again. That's all gone. Yeah, it's very well. There's a couple. Uh, Final Girls is absolutely fantastic. It's one of the best horror movies I've seen since probably Fright Night. Um, that one's very funny, very touching, and scary. Um, and the other one I just saw was uh, We Are Freaks. It was originally called Kitchen Sink. Um, I think it's called We Are Freaks. I have to look that up. But it's um, it's a comedy horror movie that it's its own universe where basically the zombies, the vampires, and the werewolves all have to live together in this little town. And the government allows them to live as long as they don't hurt anybody outside. They'll supply them with blood and brains and everything like that as long as they don't attack any of the neighboring cities. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's really well done, and Sony dumped both of those movies. I don't think they see a profit in horror comedy anymore. Whereas, like, these gore, these low-budget, like, $2 million gore movies or these boring ghost movies are everywhere. There's nothing fun about them way that they were in the 80s. Even when they're bad, they're still fun. Remember when the, when was it The Ring came out? Or Ringu, or whatever yeah, it was called. Yeah, right around that is when it started getting real boring. It was, it was The it's Others, Ring, and... Just getting weird. The Grudge. Well, it was getting very right Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> but this is kind of, this is the era of, A, Stephen King was the pinnacle of horror during the 80s. Stephen King was everywhere. He was like just uh, yes. with Clive Barker climbing slowly up his, you know, his back. Um, you can you can <laughs> go like a year without a Stephen King movie and they're all pretty entertaining. Even when they're bad like Children of the Corn, they're still pretty yeah. entertaining. He who walks behind the rose. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, also it's the rubber reality which was basically yeah. uh, brought about with the thing and Nightmare on Elm Street where uh, A was about top-notch special effects and then uh, Nightmare on Elm Street you know breaking between like dream world and real world you know the dead and beyond and trick-or-treat you can see there there is some of that same vibe as the way it is with Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah definitely that, that's another one I've we were just talking about that I thought I, he said dream warriors and I couldn't remember what he was talking about that's sad <laughs> Because you had, you had the cassette, and we listened to it all the time. I, had the, I love docking. I had just about everything. Once I found, we went to a truck stop with Dad one night. I said, oh, that's a cool look. And that's how we bought CDs back then, right? Yeah. Oh, the artwork. Cassette, oh, my God. Cassette tape. The artwork. Was, this looks cool. Took it home, and I was a docking fan from then on. But it took me a while before I realized that that was actually used in that movie. Was it actually the it was just that song, right? Just that song. I don't think any of the Doc kind of songs got in there, but that was the big single, and that did well. I think yes. it charted in the top 40. I think it better, did better on like you know heavy metal circuit and the hard rock circuit. But um, definitely, I think it's just a mixture of heavy metal stuff in that movie. Uh, you know, they have that punk right. rock girl, so she's not technically heavy metal, but it kind of has that vibe. Um, same year, they have the gate where you play a record backwards and you open up a portal to hell. I mean, there's other things you have to do first. Like I think he cuts his hand and blood goes into the ground or whatever. What makes you do that? Seriously. I don't know. Um, let me ask if you this. On the off chance that it's real, <laughs> why would you want to? Your curiosity. They do the same thing in this trick-or-treat. It's all about playing the record I know. backwards. Did you play a record backwards? I've done it before, yes, but I've never found anything. It, 
Yeah, I must have found the wrong albums. With Kiss, me and Robert were in yeah. the uh, the radio station playing it backwards, trying to hear something. We're like, no, go faster. No, no, a little bit slower. No, is it this, is it this track? No, it has to be this track. <laughs> I think it was Heaven's on Fire if you play it backwards. Or it's Look It Up. I can't remember. It's one of the two. Where you play it backwards, you're supposed to hear a message. And I think it was this, Hershey, you're wasting your time. Go and do something outside. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a power suggestion because – if you get enough guys in one room, you're going to hear something, and then everyone else is going to hear it. Yeah. Even though it wasn't really there. It's like when people <laughs> see, like, oh, Jesus, it's on the side of that building. Um, that's, that's paint. How do you see that? It's in my pancake. It's <laughs> <laughs> when you mess with people. Like, what? I don't see anything. <laughs> and it's a mural. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, I, besides that, uh, I was also remembering the fact that, you know, this is when heavy metal came under, like, serious scrutiny by – uh, the politicians. I think it was Al Gore's mm-hmm. wife was one of them pushing forward, and I do not disagree with them. I actually think the politicians were right in introducing a parental advisory. That's, I mean, it's yes. not it's not condemning free speech. It was just basically giving a warning to parents, say, is this appropriate for your child? No. Same thing with video games. I have no problem with rating boards. It does not censor. It just limits. It, well, not, maybe not limits. It just tells you who the appropriate audience is for. Why was it that they bitched about music when no one said anything about the movies. In fact, by allowing there to be R-rated movies, it opened up what you do with movies. Tell darker, more mature stories. Yeah. I, I don't... I, I'm, I'm on the same boat with you. I agree with them, so... Yeah, so I think I think maybe... Right on, it's was, the right was time. a knee-jerk reaction where they thought that they were being censored, like their freedom was being taken over. I was like, no. Yeah. Um, I know some people probably wanted all of this music to be washed away, like condemned. That's, that's not freedom of speech either. That's not what America stands for. Um... But having a ratings guide is actually, I think, completely correct. I came, I don't know, I grew up around a lot of the 70s, softer rock type stuff. That's what my mom was to And then, uh, like, yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> Me too. My grandma, grandpa was to some country music, so I had a little bit of exposure to that. But that was about it. Yeah. And then, eventually, I started getting into more of the heavier rock from the 70s and what have you. But I, long story short, I'm very eclectic now. Yeah. I have a mutual respect for any kind of music. Um, whether I, I like I all of it or not, that's another story. But <laughs> Yeah, I think it's strange when somebody only listens to one type of music. I'm like, uh, so you don't, really only heavy metal or only hip-hop? Really only? Because there's a lot of great stuff out there in every genre. I listen to, you know, I listen to old country and I listen uh, to, you know, punk and hip-hop and, you know, some 70s soul um, stuff like that. I mix it up because it, it widens. Vivaldi. It's usually a sign of intelligence when you want to uh, expand your horizons, go into something you've never, yeah. you know, experienced before. Um, but how did you end up discovering heavy metal? I'm curious. Oh boy, hmm. Junior high, I think it was. I had a couple of friends that were into it, but I didn't really start getting into it until I uh, moved to Huntington. Yeah. And some of the guys I hung out with there were really into the heavier stuff, like Testament and, and Megadeth and Metallica for one. I knew who Metallica was in junior high, but it, I never owned anything by them. I think Guns N' Roses is about as heavy as I got before I moved to Huntington. Yeah, I think it's uh, your your legendary suitcase of cassette tapes that went with us everywhere <laughs> we went. Every road trip, every time, you know, I've ever seen your point, yep. just popping them in. And... Um, I remember you kind of went into the fantasy stuff, and at the time I didn't appreciate it because it's more falsetto. I was more into like the thrash, you know, the harder stuff like Anthrax and you know, like you said, Testament, Metallica. Uh, it wasn't until like the last few years where I truly appreciated like Dio and Iron Man, which I think they call uh, power metal now. Man of War. 
Man of War. You know, I did like Man of War. I remember <laughs> us out in the hot summer sun trying to put gravel in the driveway listening to Man of War and seeing the looks on my neighbor's face. <laughs> <laughs> Who does uh, Iron Maiden? Well, they do a lot of the higher falsetto stuff, yeah, I guess. Do. Like, run to the hills. Sorry. Run I won't do that again. Bro. <laughs> I had to grab a scrote a little bit there. <laughs> Kick me in the jimmy. Sorry. Um... <laughs> get into the uh oh before i do uh my my entrance into heavy metal um i think was uh back when my parents used to work for a newspaper uh we used to go on these sales trips and there was a kid with us uh, sean who used to have like metallica no 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 motley crew it was motley crew and like van halen so that was like my introduction to like hard rock and, and just mm-hmm. the beginning of like that glam metal um and then later it was because of you and like uh, that one kid tony you know they, they would sh- play do you remember the show what was that show that was on um, the radio station, the local high school radio station? Do you remember? You know, Friday? I've been racking my brain trying to figure out what that what name of that was. Robert could probably tell us, but yeah, that's the uh, one that we used to listen to all the time. That's where we discover, like, that's when I first started getting like Black Sabbath and stuff like that. And then, you know, then I discovered uh, um, what's the show on MTV? Uh, Metal Mayhem. Metal Mayhem. Headbangers Ball. Headbangers Ball. Headbangers Ball. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you still, That was a big discovery for me. I was like, oh my god, and that's when I got into Kiss. Like, not the, the, the makeup kiss. I'm talking revenge kiss. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there was a while there where kiss was not cool. They were doing disco, and they, and they did, like, experimental albums, and they came back with, uh, loud, I want to hear it loud. And um, Gene Simmons decided to act, and he's in this movie, Trick or Treat, as the DJ. He's only briefly in it. So is Ozzy. They only do cameos, but I love the DVD trying to sell you that they are the stars. Right. I hate that big switch well, kind of stuff. Jim- Who's the other one? Um, I'm in the wrong one. Alice Nunn, I guess. So she was listed as another uh, cameo appearance. Who's that? Name? What was her name? What was her name? What was her name? Um, give me a minute. Give me a minute. Okay. Uh, Large Marge from Pee Wee's Big oh, Adventure. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> the big truck driving Hello, one. Large Marge. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what it was she did before that, and I didn't get deep enough into it. That she was considered, why she was considered a cameo. But I guess at the time she was hot. Maybe you could deliver it. Hot rising new star, <laughs> large Marge. <laughs> anyway. Uh, who was the guy that was who did... Um, what? Eh? Oh, crap. Headbangers Ball. Ricky Rockman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. still around, I think. Is he? What's yeah. he doing these days? Well, I think he does radio now. Oh, okay. Because that's where all DJs go. <laughs> it's basically radio. Because that's all <laughs> Radio. It, it sucks. It's always like some XM station. Like here on the classic '80s dance pop station, where you have all the original uh, MTV VJs, you know, and it's like, oh, that's that's where you guys have been. Because <laughs> that's where music's at now. Yeah. It's only in radio. You're not gonna see any music videos unless you go to YouTube. <laughs> it's just not the same. Because right. there, it's skewed towards whatever you're already listening to. You can't discover all these new artists, you know. And that's what was great about MTV at the time. And we must mention that the MTV was just the hottest thing in the world when these movies came out. Yes. Now, what was? What? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't know anything about Fast Life. Um, I know you had the soundtrack for it, and that's how I discovered this because I, I found it in your little case, and I was like, "Who the hell's Fast Way? And you're like, "Oh, you haven't seen Trick or Treat?" And I'm like, "No." <laughs> okay. Oh man, I man, I was all set up for this a few weeks ago when we start. We said we were going to do this, and now I I've forgotten it all. No, it's no. So <laughs> now was Fast Way a real band? Uh, it was made up. Uh, the guy was Eddie Clark. Uh, Fast Eddie Clark was his name. Uh, he was in other bands. I'm like, oh, I can't remember which bands. 
Give oh, me a minute. I, see it. I got it right here. A Motorhead and UFO. Yes. Yes. Although it was a big name, started his own band or whatever. Anyway, it was based around him, I think. But honestly, I've never heard anything beyond the soundtrack by Fastway. I don't know if they did anything else. or. It looks like they did an uh, album in 1984 called All Fired Up. And then the Trick or Treat soundtrack. I always think it's weird when a band will do basically a soundtrack for a movie. And it kind of fades away. Um, speaking of Kiss, they did one called Music from the Elder, which I was convinced was a movie for decades. I just could never find it. It turns out it was just a concept album. They were thinking about doing a movie, and it never happened. I was like, ah, oh, damn it. I, they released an album in 2011. Fastway did? Oh. Oh, so they're still around. All right. Are they doing the nostalgia circuit? Because hair metal is starting to do that little thing where they get, like, five guys from the 80s together. I have Give me to a say, second. Let me... Yeah, I have to say while you're looking this up, I um I hated hair metal for a very very long time. I think part of it was brainwashing. You know, when grunge music came around, all of a sudden they're like, "We're done with this hair metal stuff, man. It's for old folks, you know, out of touch people." And I'm like, "Okay, yeah, cool, yeah, it sucks. I like grunge metal, you know." And then I find myself like slowly discovering like pre hair metal, you know, the early uh, half of the '80s. And then the other day, I found myself singing a Poison song, and going, "Oh, that's right, I don't hate hair metal. It's just I was told to hate hair metal." <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm listening to a little bit of Eat Dog Eat is the name of the album from 2011, and it is every bit as good as the as the original. As they used to be, I would say that, but at least for the one song I'm hearing, I love this one. Rock and roll. Do you realize that we kind of skipped over Maximum Overdrive? To we totally did, didn't we? <laughs> we did. We we'll have to go back. <laughs> Stephen King, without his glasses. <clears throat> This movie is seriously underrated. It Of the three, this one holds up very, very well. Mark Price should have been a bigger star. If this movie hadn't tanked and him, and him being held down by his role as Skippy on Family Ties, right. I really right. think that he would have been a better actor. Um, well, not a better actor, uh, a better lead. Like Studios would have come giving him offers, or at least he would have got better auditions. And I really think the only thing he did after this was some stand-up comedy and one of those killer tomato movies. He actually is pretty gifted. As I feel for his character, because I think you and I have both been there, like outcast, kind of bullied around, and you wish that you had some sort of special power to get revenge. I mean, not necessarily kill, <laughs> but I mean, you wanted justice no. for these bullies. I don't know if... I've had my fair share of guys try to push me around, but I'm not sure if I ever let them. Yeah, you were tougher than I was. I got I, I, snot pushed around and just like shoved around in lockers and beat up and called names all the time well let's say this when i did stand up to him let's not say that i, I was secretly hoping that nobody ever actually took me you know on that challenge at facebook <laughs> challenged me because i probably would have been flat on the ground as a pancake <laughs> i think but... my nose is on the back of my head <laughs> you're like you're like the daffy duck or da, yeah daffy duck where his bill spins around right then again i could have been that guy who's just i I always thought that if anybody actually did take me on and actually want to challenge me, that I would just act crazy. Yeah. And maybe they would just walk this. away. I've done this. I learned this. <laughs> I got mugged in 2003, and I just started going crazy and scared the guy off. And then, like, a couple months later, a bunch of these, like, teenagers, like, older teenagers. We're not talking, like, 13. We're talking, like, 19, maybe 20. And they snuck into the movie theater where I was working at, and I was trying to tell them they need a ticket or they need to leave. And they wanted to throw me off the balcony. And I was like, go ahead, throw me off. I don't care. I don't want to live anyway. And they're like, oh, we're out of here. This is, this is insane. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So playing crazy sometimes can help you, and if you can't aim right for that throat, just that's right. <laughs> right in the throat, throat right nuts. In the, uh, the, um, <laughs> the uh, hiatal, you know, right there, right under their ribs, you know, so they can't breathe and they puke. That's the only. It's really the only two options. That or thumbing in the eyeball, but you don't want to take somebody's eye out unless they're gonna kill you. That's kind of gross. I yeah, that's kind of gross. It's disgusting. <laughs> what am I talking about? Well, this is about horror movies. I'm sure somebody's eyeball has been popped out. Right. <laughs> um, so Trick or Treat, definitely worth watching. DVD, severely out of print. We can find her on YouTube. <laughs> it's on YouTube. <laughs> I didn't say it. <laughs> Charles Martin Smith, if that name sounds familiar to you, he was in, in Untouchables. He's like the nerdy little accountant guy that helps them out. He's also, um, his name is Ducky or something in American Graffiti. Uh, one of those character oh. actors. But he ended up doing this and a couple other movies, and then after that, just went back to acting. What was it? Was he Mr. Wembley? Mr. Wembley. <laughs> Mr. Whipple. No. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, oh. I know talking about. <laughs> I know who you're talking about now. Okay. Yeah. Okay, where was he in this movie? <laughs> I'm uh, he's, sorry, he's but... not in the movie. He is the director of this movie. Oh, he is? Yep. Oh, he's in the movie. Is he? Is it a cameo? Yeah. Oh. Uh, apparently, his name is Mr. Wembley. <laughs> Mr. Wembley sounds like a character <laughs> from Archie Comics. <laughs> I think it was Mr. Weatherby or something like that. <laughs> All right, everybody. It's time for the big rewind. we got to go back in time. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> Tell me, doctor, how did we screw up this podcast? <laughs> All right, so let's, back in time. Let's that's, go. that's good rock, but it's not what we're <laughs> leaning towards let's here. Let's go Mike. back a little bit here to Maximum Overdrive because somehow we skipped over this. Um, I, I have a scatterbrain, and I, I go off on these tangents, and I forget where I was going. Uh, Maximum Overdrive. There, that beginning sequence, like the first half hour of Maximum Overdrive is really great. Building up yep. the world is better than the execution. Once it gets stuck in that diner, I don't care anymore. It gets boring. The characters are annoying. There is one thing before that, though, that drives me up the wall, and I fast-forward through it every time, is when that little girl, the one that does the voice work on, um, you know, she does Lisa Simpson. Um, when Yardley in the car, Smith. Huh? Yardley. Yardley Smith. Smith. Thank you. But she's like, get back in the car! What are you going to do? She just keeps screaming at him over and over uh -huh. and over. I'm like, ah! <laughs> the other sequence yeah, drives I'd me. Say yeah. I don't get what, okay, if every other machine is coming to life, why didn't their car? I know, right? That makes no sense! <laughs> No sense. Their car is anyway, like a rebel, sorry. man. We're like, we're not going along right. with this group mentality stuff. We're on our own. It's like the Herbie of their world. <laughs> I think it was run by hamsters. Maybe that's it. Maybe what you have to do is, <laughs> no, okay. Maybe what you have to do is there can't be human contact with the vehicle. There can't be someone in control. Once you let go of control, that someone else, that the car takes over. This is me stretching the reality of what Stephen King was probably like, fuck it. Just, I'm just writing it like it is. <laughs> Well, so sick of it because actually, well, that wouldn't work because they got to that first gas station where they found that tow truck that was going crazy. Yeah, oh god, they both no, got no, out of the car. Sense. Okay, you're right. <laughs> the, the, the logic is stupid. Um, but there's some scenes, and, and, and they're not exactly like great scenes. They're just like bonkers scenes, like the, the part where the guy gets hit in the face with a Pepsi can. <laughs> and this <laughs> right? is oh my god, my god, my nuts, and then. Um, there's things like, that kid's riding around on his bike, and there's lawnmowers that running over people, and there's remote control airplanes, and it's just like, oh, this is actually, it's fun and weird and kind of gross, actually, a little gross. A <laughs> lot, lot, of, lot of red stuff flying around yeah. here. Anyway. Uh, the pinball machine, uh, when, when he's playing that. <laughs> so why is it everything electrical doesn't just electrocute them? I mean, how can they even turn on a light? It just doesn't short them out. I just... I'm actually losing. I think it's meant. 
get lightheaded from talking so fast. I think it is. This is obviously, and unfortunately, it's a lot of the movies from the eighties. But <laughs> you're not really meant to think. You're just supposed to be entertained. <laughs> yeah, the shock. Back. Thinking didn't come until like late nineties. <laughs> I don't know. That I've seen some recent horror movies. There's not a lot of logic there either. Well, you know. Um, I'll tell you what. I was a sixth sense I watched. You know, and I know you hated this about me, but I, I had this knack. I know. When we'd sit down to watch a movie, I always uh, knew who did it, what was going to happen next. And part of me hated that too. But when I sat down and watched The Sixth Sense at my sister's house, and I missed the first scene altogether. Yeah. You would have loved to have been in the room with me at that time because I had no clue <laughs> what was going on. I had to think. <laughs> you know, I couldn't figure it out. Well, do you uh, think that horror movies are too uh, wrapped up in its own mystery? Like, it was around this time, like, when Scream, oh, who's the killer? Which one's in the mask? Oh, is someone dead? What's the trick ending? You know, M. Night Shyamalan kind of rooted that for everybody, too. When, you know, back in the day, they were pretty straightforward. Now, you were never sure who was going to live or die, but you kind of right. knew who the villain was. This is like when they started doing the mascot uh, monster. You know, uh, not only for sequels, but for merchandising. You know, they had Chucky. They had Pumpkinhead. You know, uh, the, mm. the Shocker was uh, a movie trying to get Horace Pinker as a mascot. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> and, you know, see, uh, Trick or Treat clearly wanted to make uh, Sammy Carr. Uh, terrible name for a villain, by the way. <laughs> Sammy Carr, that's not, right. not intimidating at all. But uh, it was probably during that era when they were like, well, they, they take, like, you know, the boy next door kind of name. Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, you know, and, and try to make it terrifying. But, um... <laughs> But it failed, obviously. And Maximum Overdrive, uh, I want to say this real quick. Maximum Overdrive was remade on USA as Trucks. Um, supposed to be a better version of Maximum Overdrive, but I've never seen it. I don't know if you have. I have not. Trucks is actually the original title of the short story, if I remember yeah. correctly. What book is that? You have that book, don't you? Uh, it said, I just know that it was a short story, but it was it in one of the books? I feel like it was in one of yours. I think it was the one with Lawnmower Man, which has nothing to do with the movie. Uh, and Trillium yeah, the Corn. The... It's the really big one. Not the Pac-Man books. Night shift. Night shift. Is that it's it? a night shift. Yeah, yes. I borrowed that from you in high school for study hall. When I should have been doing my homework, I was reading Stephen King, kids. <laughs> Stephen King and Calvin and Hobbes, two wildly different. <laughs> I'd say if Stephen King, well, at least up until recently, I haven't bought a Stephen King book since the last of the Dark Tower series. Yeah. Are you excited and for the films? They're finally getting going with movies? Are they finally getting going? Yeah, it's, I, it's, I, it's, I, it's already being filmed. I don't get my hopes up too much because things like that that I really look forward to end up getting dropped. Yeah. That, well, Dark Tower's been tortured. It was in pre-production years right? ago and almost went. A friend of mine, Ben Rock, uh, he did conceptual art for the Dark Tower when Ron Howard was in charge. Actually, I don't even know who the director is now. Uh, it might be Ron Howard again. But um, he was part of that, and then it just like collapsed the last minute because Universal just didn't see a profit in it. You know, Stephen King isn't anywhere nearly as hot as he um, you know, because then he was like a phenomenon. During the 80s, yeah. I feel like they embraced the author more with movies. You know, you're always seeing, like, the name of the director or the author before the title, like Clyde Barker's Hellraiser. You know, they would just sell it right. now as Hellraiser. What was it? Oh, there was another short story thing. Uh, was it Fright Night or one of them where they used one of his short stories? Because I remember, uh, Not dang, Fright Night. Are you Stephen the King. Night, the Night Flyer? I can't remember. I thought it was, like, a collection of short horror films, kind of like Fright Night or uh, one of those things where uh, Stephen King was in well, it. Well, he did Creep Show. Creep Show, that would have been it. Cat's that was Eye. it. Yeah, he did a bunch of them actually. There's Creep Show, there's Creep Show 2, Cat's Eye, Tales from the Dark Side, um, Nightmares and Dreamscapes, Quicksilver Highway. There's a bunch of them. Now, the last, I don't know, something outside of the Dark Tower I've written in, is like Hearts in Atlantis, um, like from a Buick 8, things like that. You can see 
the, the maturity of him. Yeah, uh, I've not read any of his. Bit, yeah, like, a little bit fantasy. Yes, well, I was like, but back most of his other stuffs where he was big was really the epitome of what '80s movies were. Yeah. You know, full on. That's kind of story. And each one was yes. so unique. You know, he never really copied himself. No, he did a real good job of that. So yeah, I can't I... wait till Dark Tower. But... All right, yeah. go on. Uh, I'm just thinking we should do a whole episode just on the Stephen King because I'm just thinking about it, like Graveyard Shift and Pet Cemetery, uh, Stand By Me, you know, uh, Firestarter, uh, Silver Bullet. You know, there's so many great Stephen King movies. Uh, you know what? That's a sequel. That'll be a sequel to this, everybody. Maximum Overdrive is just a taste. We give you the first taste for free. You come back for more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for that. You know, I'll have a whole month off to watch everything. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be Halloween. <laughs> They're going to be on TV. You know it. All right, so our final film of our little trilogy here um, is Brain Scan. But before we start that, is there anything else in the heavy metal world you think we're missing to discuss? I feel like we've touched upon a lot of that era. I, sadly, man, I, you, if you'd asked me 15, 20 years ago, I could just spout these off like nothing. But yeah. sadly, I've forgotten a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> sure I, I just need to go down to the local video store and just walk down that aisle and go, it, you know, oh, wax nostalgia. He still has a video <laughs> store, everybody. I forget this. Woo! There's some towns that still have video stores, and um, every time I go to a video store, I'm like, oh my god, you guys have a video store here. Yeah, we're going out of business in two months. Son of a bitch! <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Hollywood video, so hopefully it'll stick around for a little while, but we don't have any... Actually, right up until probably like three years ago, we had a small mom-pop one Yeah, family that video, right? is no longer there. Or we family did. video. I said Hollywood, didn't I? Yeah, I meant family video. Yeah, video in bankrupt a few years ago. Right, right. I know, it's terrible. What? I went to that video store, and I was like, I only have, like, this much money, but I wish I had more, because I would just buy every, you know, like, I went through and got a bunch of old horror movies from the 80s, like Monster right. Squad. I got Monster Squad, uh, Cat's Eye, Tales from the Hood, that's from the 90s, I know that. But I love anthology horror movies, um, and, and a bunch of other stuff that I hadn't seen that was more recent that had kind of a, an a old school feel. Yeah. Um, I remember, I miss going down there to get all the old posters. Oh my god, do you remember our college years when our walls were filled with movies? <laughs> Sometimes we would just yes. grab them. We would just grab them because they look cool. I have, there are a couple posters that we had on our walls that I've never seen. I've never, the low life with Sean Astin, I had a poster on the wall. I've never seen it. I've had 20 years to watch this movie, people. I've never seen it. I heard it's a cult, but um, I'm not allowed to talk about it. Yeah. It's a hidden, it's a hidden little movie. You have to like see a secret password and be part of the special club to see it. Um, yeah, definitely. Like Lost Boys was on the wall. Freaked. I remember Body Parts I had on the wall for a while. Um, not Frighteners. Body Parts. What? Frighteners. Yeah, I had the Frighteners posters. I yeah, I missed I still those. Have that. I never missed the video stores. Do you think it's weird how many video stores were in Vincennes, considering how small the population? No, not really, because of the, because of college. Yeah. And now, is... if the university wasn't sorry, university, if it wasn't there, I. Then it would have been strange. But. Yeah. I think it's funny, though, is when we, like, our days off when we didn't have class. Oh, who are we kidding? We heard, Class was more like four hours of your day, and the rest of you just screw around. College is the greatest ever, people. Um, <laughs> go to college. It's fun. Deal with the debt later. Study. Yeah, study. study. But, 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 uh, when, you're not, when you're not wanting to study, you could wander around your town or whatever. And this is back when there was, like, six or seven video stores, a comic store, coffee houses. And um, I remember we used to just... Our Saturday was, hey, we'll start on this end of town and wander the entire thing. And we'll, we would stop in all the video stores just to see what they have. And, like, we would just pick something from one of the video stores and walk back. That was our day. And then we would spend some, like, hey, you want to go to the gym, go swimming? Sure. You know, and, and then eventually we'll do homework. Yep. Lies. We did not do homework. <laughs> we, were, we were terrible with homework. We did eventually, but, it, you know, oh, we, we did were the king of like, procrastinating. Oh, my God, it's tomorrow. <laughs> 
What was the music store? It was was it on cue that they had down there? They or? had on cue up by Walmart. God, do I miss CD stores? Oh, that was so uh, much fun because they had movies and music and books. Then they had one which was right across the street from campus where they had some CDs that were used that you could buy cheap, and they had some comic books and stuff like that. And that's where you could go sell all your old stuff when you're running out of cash for pizza. Because, yeah. <laughs> guess what? The dorm cafeteria closes at 6. You're up till <laughs> 1 in the morning. Why? What? No. <laughs> it made no sense when there were classes after 6. It made no sense. You'd have to eat right beforehand, and you're sitting in class going, oh, i got to have so many more hours to go before I go to sleep. And you find yourself later going to Walmart at 2 o'clock in the morning going, I have 2 bucks. What can I buy? Four packages <laughs> of turkey. I think that's turkey. It might be smeat. <laughs> I think we always had it was always the two o'clock run to Walmart, and we ended up coming home with a bag of candy. Because <laughs> we were terrible shoppers. We were terrible shoppers. We were so unhealthy. And two liters of this, that, and that. But <laughs> and we would always watch movies. We, this is this is something that started in high school. Is it was movie party night where we would rent a couple movies. One night we went way too far. And we rented like five movies, and I don't think we even watched half of them. Uh, but it'd always be like. There'd always be at least one horror movie, and you know, like, I mean, an action movie, a kung fu flick, you know, something that, and a comedy. And uh, Brain Scan was one of those where I think, if I remember correctly, <coughs> we searched everywhere for this. We could not find a copy anywhere, and we ended up going to that video store in the middle of Huntington. Do you remember downtown Huntington with that one video store? It was always kind of sketchy. Yes. It's it's one small room of new videos, which you only had one copy of. And then right. it would give you, like, the preview tapes. Do you remember how video stores used to get preview tapes and you watch it and decide whether or not it was worth buying copies of? He was like, yeah, yeah if you rent one of my movies, you get one of those free sneak preview movies for free. And we're like, okay. And then, of course, three-quarters of his building was porn. Let's, let's not lie. Yep. And then you always see the some hidden guy, room. Yeah, you'd always see some guy walk out of there and he'd look at you and you'd look at him and you knew what was going on. He'd be kind of ashamed. Be like, uh, mm, uh, uh hey, I gotta go. <laughs> Yeah, you don't do that sort of thing in the small town because everyone knows everybody. Yeah, I know. It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, we have a friend who would reside in those for a long time, not naming names, but it was always like, seriously, everybody here knows us. They've known us since we were 13. <laughs> they know our parents. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, so it was that oh, and Brain Scan in the Shadow. Those are two movies that we hunted for forever. Yes. And we ended up finding both of those at that weird video store. And Brain Scan, um, at the time, I didn't appreciate it enough. I think I enjoy it more every time I watch it. I've seen it about four times now. This last time, I really got into the concept. Part of it was nostalgia. I still can't believe that a lot of us dressed like that in the early 90s. <laughs> that floppy hairdo. <laughs> that, you know, and, and, and the, what? The, the slight hippie thing. Remember those little the John Lennon glasses are always shaded and dressing just like, hey, I just went to Lollapalooza for the first time. You know, I'm really into <laughs> Blind Melon. Well, Edward Furlong, I think that's pretty much his, that was his staple haircut. Yeah. Everyone was caught falling anyway. And he was pretty big in the horror genre. I think part of it's because Terminator was a sci-fi movie that was kind of scary. So then he did Pet yeah. Cemetery 2. Um, mm -hmm. But he would mix in some art house projects in there. But considering that none of the movies after Terminator 2 were successful, it's surprising that he stuck around as long as he did in theatrical releases. Uh, Brain Scan, though, was his big, like, this is my movie. Uh, even though he's uh, on the poster, it says Frank Langella as well. Frank Langella wasn't really a name known to us. Not until we realized later that he was Skeletor. Right. <laughs> uh, he's really good in that movie. Uh, Edward Furlong, I've always had trouble with. I feel like he can't act. Am I wrong? I am the same way. <laughs> I mean, he's a I honestly, kind of give him a pass. For this, for this movie, I feel like he kind of fit his persona. But beyond that, uh, I like him. Don't get me wrong. He's, I, 
I just don't tell him. I have to agree with you, man. I'm sorry, Eddie. <laughs> well, what I've been told, uh, not been told, but I read, is the director, John Flynn, who was known for doing more action movies, not horror movies. Uh, he said yeah. he loved making the movie. He loved the concept. He loved working with uh, Frank Langella. Oh, and he said T. Ryder Smith was astonishing, and he's right. The guy who plays Trickster, which uh, I will say this, for about a month before we did this episode, I got confused. I thought the band in Trick or Treat was called Trickster because of the title of the movie. And that I don't know where I thought Fast, Fastway just didn't even fit into it. Um, but then Trickster was a heavy metal band. They had one like minor, minor. Um, did you yeah, get confused? I like them. Yeah, I don't. I don't. No, no, them. I didn't get. Yeah. Um, That's because I had that. I had the album though. So. Yeah. Okay. So I did not. I just remember <laughs> seeing a poster for it on the back of my Kiss twentieth uh, anniversary uh, like Hit Parader magazine. You remember Hit Parader? Yeah, vaguely. <laughs> I remember those heavy metal magazines. I, I had a bunch of them for a while. Um, but Brain Scan is right at the end of heavy metal. Um, like the hair metal era is just like starting to disappear and heavy metal got kind of strange around this time because you had the thrash guys now had taken over you know megadeth and metallica were huge and then um these guys would come out of nowhere like white zombie which were combining like kind of carnival alternative music mixed with old school heavy metal like combining black sabbath with uh primus you know that kind of weird feel right and so technically it's primus not, it's not <laughs> it's not really a heavy metal movie but Trickster has that look, and it does have some of it throughout the soundtrack. The real reason I picked it is because it is very close in concept to Trickster. i got to ask you, how many, what has T-Rider been in? I've only, I'm only finding two movies. Uh, no, he's basically just doing voice work. He is a theatrical, like a stage Broadway oh, actor. Okay. So he mostly does Broadway gotcha. stuff. And every once in a while he'll pop in and do some voice work. But for the most part, Brain Scan is his one and only major role. And he knocks it out of the park. Oh, he's in... Great. Oh, he's a voice in Bioshock, the video game. Sweet. Yeah, he's oh, sorry. Uh, he's fantastic, and it's kind of a shame that we bond because I think more people would have discovered him. And he looks nothing like Trickster. Um, if you see him in real life, you're like, whoa, they did a good job on the makeup. <laughs> well, you can definitely tell he's got a lot of that crap on. Yeah. He's got it caked on. Anyway. There's two things that I think that don't work in its favor for this movie. The special effects, the digital effects uh, yeah. are strange. Like when his mouth extends and he swallows up Eddie Furlong, you're like, oh, that's, no, don't do that. That looks terrible. <laughs> or there's the, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was saying, I have to agree with you on that because I thought the, I meant to mention that earlier, the, the effects in Trick or Treat I thought are actually really good. Yeah, they still work out. But, it's a mixture of practical and optical effects, which, um, right. none of it looks bad. But this is like when CGI was first coming out and the company that did Brain Scan didn't have a lot of money. It was Triumph. And, um, Basically, the scene where he first comes out of the team, he's a head, and he kind of you know, forms his body. It's one of the, the worst things you've ever seen. It looks like vomit and SpaghettiOs just kind of coming out of his neck. Like, eh, what is that? It would have been better Silly if he had buddy. just walked out of the TV. If he had just walked out of the TV, it would have worked. It would have been better. That would have been cool. I think when, uh, well, on Trick or Treat, the way he came in, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, it works well. A better way than through a speaker. But anyway. <laughs> And then he's done. Oh, boom, he's here, you know. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Uh, did you feel cheated at all at the end of Brain Scan? Che uh, spoilers, everybody, at the end of Brain Scan when it turns out it's just the game. I did. I was waiting for the other shoe to fall. Like, surprise, you know, you're good, you're good, and then, boom, and then the, it's over, you know. But I was totally expecting that, and nothing. Seriously. There is 
but here's the weird thing is that it, it does that, but then it double backs, and all of a sudden they show him giving the game to his teacher, and you see Trickster sitting in the chair, like, laughing, and then the movie goes to credits. And I'm like, wait, no, huh? Did Eddie Furlong have a mental snap, and he just created Trickster now in reality? Like, I see Trickster all the time now. <laughs> well, they did say that it, the game kind of screwed with some other kid, and you know, it's a good thing you didn't play that game. You remember that part? Maybe, maybe that's what it did. Maybe it screwed him up. Yeah, it gives him like a schizophrenic break. Because it is pretty intense. I, I, I love the game. I wish I don't know if they did. I don't, I don't think they did. If they made a real brain scan game, I would have played that because I love the challenges. I don't want to cut people up or anything. That's gross. But I love the no. challenges of, oh, 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 this, you left a piece behind. There was a witness. You got to do this. It was really a well-done script. Andrew Kevin Walker, I think his name, and he ended up doing Leapy Hollow a few years later and Seven. And... He's a really good writer. I just feel like there were some things working against the movie. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a good, a good guilty pleasure movie. Not something you're going to watch over and over again. Yeah. But like I said earlier, if you're waxing nostalgia, dig it up, definitely. Yeah, I think it's funny. His best friend, you know, the one that's uh, kind of goofy and he gets killed halfway through the movie. Um, yeah. Every time I watch him, I swear we had a friend like that. It feels like if there wasn't a guy that looked like that, there was a guy who acted like that. There was a kind of off-the-wall kind of guy. And I'm, as I'm describing this, I think I'm talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> He's always kind of cool. People liked him. But I was kind of, see, I was, I was liked, but I only had like a handful of like real friends. Like I would hang out and talk to people at school, but afterwards I had my core group. I think that I was, I was kind of annoying back then. I was really like wild and high energy. And I think that I got on a lot of people's nerves after a short period of time. Yet somehow you tolerated me for decades now. I, I'm the kind of guy that I can only have like a good small clique of friends. I couldn't be that big social butterfly oh, that, God, that most of the guys, you know, I just, I, I preferred it that way. And I think that's probably, probably led to, okay. You could probably see, you probably had a different view on how I looked and how I dressed and acted and what have you growing up. But as far as I can recall, I was at least for the most part myself, Yeah. you know, I didn't try to, I didn't follow the norm, you know, and try to, follow the clicks and try to be popular and all that. I, I just wanted to be me. Yeah, you were always and... very unique, and I think that's why we stuck together, because, and I thank goodness you were, uh, you know, we're, we're celebrating almost 20 year, 25 years of friendship now, and if I hadn't uh, become friends with you, if I hadn't met you, I think I would have gone on a totally different path, because through hanging out with you, I was more comfortable with being who I am, instead of always being, right. I was so uncomfortable, and I, like, I never knew who I was, so I was always changing my style, my attitude to whatever was popular. And it wasn't until I relaxed around junior year, I think about a year and a half after I met you, that I started to discover that I could be funny and that I was more going in the direction that I wanted to go in. If I thought something was cool, I just like stuck with it, even if nobody else thought it was cool. Cool. Yeah. And the all at all to Ron Millingham. Ron I, Millingham. <laughs> Raul Millingham. Raul Millingham. I also thought Robert's last name was Harlem for years. I thought it was like two or three years until I saw it on a piece of paper. I was like, Oh my God, I've been saying it wrong all this time. <laughs> well, he and I are family, but when I first met him, I was the same way, so don't feel bad. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, that's right. You're a I, you're literal family. Yeah, uh, well, by marriage, but yeah. So I, still, my phone to this day thinks I'm saying Harlem. <laughs> 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 well, we are to the hour point of this episode. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I know, right? How do we do this? I always think these episodes are going to be like a half hour, and then we find ourselves going off on these tangents. And uh, Did we actually talk about the movies? 
No, we did not. We have made a million oh. fans very, very upset. Like, we hate you guys. You guys are jerks. <laughs> oh, crap. crap. <clears throat> All right. So, stay tuned for part two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Where we actually discuss the movies, and we won't discuss the movies. We'll find ourselves on another tangent. Hey, did you ever see the movie... Uh, uh, Kiss of Death, where Nicolas Cage complains about metal spoons. I hate the taste of metal in my mouth. You remember that? And then be like, what are you guys doing to me? I hate your show. We'll take a cue from Shocker, and you know, every time we go off on a tangent, we'll be, you know, hooked to like 12 volts. Or, you know. <laughs> the whole episode will be us just stuttering. It'll be, like, it'll be like the great outdoors when they're in the bar, and they're like, I've been hit by lightning six times. That's amazing. Sixty-six times. Oh my God! Sixty-six times. All right, we'll have to have a spotter next to us. All right, you're off on a tangent again. Put your tongue on the battery. Oh my God! I love. All right, we're going off on a tangent again, man. What are we doing? I don't know. It's how we roll. It's how we roll. Okay. We're those guys that don't know how to end a song. No, we don't. I have no idea. We're like ACDC in the 70s. Did you ever notice ACDC songs in the 70s would just go on forever? Like, they're done with the chorus, and it's like five more minutes of, are we done? Nope. Keep going. It's always the same bass line, you know? Yeah, and every song is either like rock and roll or has something to do with a train or boobs. Which, you know, okay, whatever. I guess you guys have a limited <laughs> area you want to go to, but it's your thing. You've been successful at it. Um, That's right. So uh, check us out on uh, Facebook under Video Night. You'll find all our episodes there. And you know what? I think we will come back, uh, maybe not immediately, but at some point we're going to do a Stephen King episode. And yes. otherwise, uh, the next episode, the legitimate Video Night episode we're doing, uh, you know, with all the great sound clips and uh, editing by Andrew is going to uh, the Phantasm series because part five is coming out soon, oh. so that should be the next episode. And uh, talk about confusing, frustrating franchises. Um, right. Till then, um, be excellent to each other and let's rock on. Rock out. Can I get up here? <laughs> the chick's just laughing at us. <laughs> Comics on Infinite Earths. I'm William, and back again we have Cameron. Hey guys, how's it? Shield, and uh, specifically this is. I the... feel like there should be some music playing. Nick Fury, Agent yeah. Shield. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
dramatic uh, music. Um, and this is specifically uh, Strange Tales 150 to 168. Mm -hmm. And this is where uh, Jim, Jim Steranko made like his big splash in comic books, basically. Um, it, Can we just talk about the art real quick? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, this uh, this artwork is pretty cool. It's got that old school like kind of feel to it. It is old school, but I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's got that kind of old animation feel to it. Like, mm -hmm. if you've seen cartoons from the 60s, they probably look like that. So, yeah, yeah. I, I really dug this artwork. It's just very, it's not like pencil-y and gross. It's very <laughs> detailed and colorful. And Yeah, that, that's one of the crazy things about this is the, that uh, Jim Stranko had just gotten over to Marvel, and they put him on this. And they actually had him at first just going over Jack Kirby's layouts. Mm -hmm. um, a side note, the previous uh, artist on on this was, which Buscema? I think it was John Buscema. Buscema, yeah. Yeah. And uh, John Buscema was mad. Like, John Buscema was like, I am such a good artist, there's no way I'm going over somebody else's layouts. So he actually erased the layouts, did his own stuff, which looks pretty decent. And, uh, but Stan Lee was pissed and, uh, took him off of it and put Jim Steranko on it. And, uh, I, I guess Jim was fine with that, but, he, like, he did such a good job with it that then pretty soon they took Kirby off of it completely, they let Jim do all the way artwork, um, and he got, yeah, he got, like, kind of trippy with it. Um, this was like an ass trip, uh, did you say that? <laughs> Yeah, I mean... Everything from the 60s is a nasty trip. <laughs> yeah. But, but this definitely reflects uh, that, like, psychedelic kind of thing that was going on in the 60s. I mean, there's, there's so many pages where it's just, like, incredibly detailed artwork. Like, just pieces of machinery are look really psych psychedelic. Um, like, he, went, he really went to town with that kind of stuff. Um, psychedelic... I, I can't really think of another artist who seemed to have so much fun just drawing pieces of machinery. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of bizarre. Just get all the gears and stuff so detailed. Uh -huh. Yeah, I like. I do like this book. I like the artwork of this book. That's what. That's one thing about me in comics. I have to like the artwork first. It mm. has to draw me in, and then I'll like see if I want to read it or anything. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm kind of like that too. Um, it, I don't know if that comes from. For, for me, like, uh, I started in on comics in the late 80s when, uh, it seemed like up until then, people didn't care that much about the art. No. Yeah, they all kind of just looked about the same. Uh, they, they all kind of looked like John Buscema's, you know, just, <laughs> just, uh, just drawing a bunch of characters. Um, but then, like, all of a sudden, there were all these hot artists like Todd McFarlane and, yeah. and Rob LaField and both, well, I don't like him a whole lot. But anyway, yeah, all these hot artists suddenly coming up. And uh, each of them like had a very different style, and uh, that that like kind of became the new the new thing or whatever. Speaking of Tom McFarlane, that's mm -hmm. not just say that it's like that's what I think people in, got interested in Spawn about because like the artwork is just phenomenal in that. Mm -hmm. you know? And you know he started on Spider Man and got Spider Man's webs all crazy and detailed stuff like that. But then Spawn was like his first book, and you know that was like mm -hmm. that's the artwork drew everybody to that. And I have couple of spawn books back at the crib mm -hmm. and you know the artwork in that is amazing storytelling yeah. wise it's, it's not very good <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah like he pretty much every character he did before he got to spawn too he was like kind of rip, 
revolutionizing uh, the way they looked and stuff. Like he did a run on the Hulk too, where the Hulk yeah. looked like you know just crazy detailed, like he never had. Um, but anyway, yeah, Starenko was uh, kind of a uh, what do you call it? The forebearer of all that, where he did have really unusual. He was an artwork. innovator. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't doing the normal kind of stuff. <coughs> yeah. Um, so it's good to have people that, you know, you know, take the regular format, but like expand on it, do something, mm-hmm. do not necessarily make it better, but do something different with it, and you know that leads to it being better. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, so that was cool. Um, yeah, and if you guys are not familiar with Jim Stranko's artwork, uh, he like people like to say that he had kind of a cinematic style, where um, he he just like didn't didn't do the same thing, you know, from page to page. He would often, like, use photos or, yeah. uh, like, use really dramatic points of view and, like, full page, full page splashes that were, like, I don't know, startling, I guess I'd say. Yeah. This book should be a somatic, cinematic, sorry, somatic. <laughs> cinematic? It should be a movie? Seismic! <laughs> cinematic. It's a, this, this is a really really cool story. It's Nick Fury, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's got a super spy field to it. I think there's a reference from the man from Uncle in here. Mm-hmm. He calls himself Uncle Nick a couple times, too. It's like, <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, I'm not sure what exactly the chronology is, but I think it goes like uh, Jim Stranko was seeing uh, you know, super spies on TV like the man from Uncle and stuff like that, and he got inspired by that. And, uh, like, those shows were, were a little trippy, but supposedly the way it goes is that then he, he did these comic books, and that actually inspired some of the later shows, uh, like, uh, The Avengers, Avengers in Britain, and, anyway, but he, he, supposedly he had an effect on, uh, the James Bond movies and, and stuff like that, the way they looked, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, I think this is, this book is really, really good, it's, uh, oh, and for those of you, this is not the Samuel Jackson Nick Fury, this is the <laughs> David Hasselhoff kind of looking guy. <laughs> I thought about that. Yeah, he looks a lot like David Hasselhoff. <laughs> this is the, have you seen the Spider-Man series back in the 90s? Nick Fury was in that. It was the gray-haired, white, yeah. right-eye-patch Nick Fury. Because hmm. that, that was a plot point in that Spider-Man episode. The comedian was dressed up as Nick Fury, but he looked at, he had this thing where he had to look at the picture to get the person's like you know, thing, get the person's likeness. And it's like, you know how pictures that sometimes the right side is reversed and the left side is reversed? Oh, yeah. And that's how they figured out, oh, that's not Nick Fury, that's the chameleon. Because ah, okay. the eye patch is on the left side. <laughs> but this is that Nick Fury. <laughs> okay. I thought maybe you were going to say that Samuel Jackson had his patch on the other side, too. But did he? Or did he do it the same way? I think, I think he is the right side, yeah. Okay. Huh. Then again, photo. Then again, like photographic. Yeah, that's like that, that's the tough thing to figure out. Is like if in the movie it looks like it's on the right side, was it actually on the left? Side? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> St- stage right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what we learn in theater. Hmm. Stage hmm. right, stage left. The opposite of what the audience is looking at. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm trying to think. What what else was I going to say about Mr. Fury here? Uh, so you guys may know that by the way, Nick Fury. Actually, his first appearance in Marvel Comics was in a series called Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos. And that was a World War II comic. 
and uh, then they thought, oh, well, let's capitalize on all the spy stuff, and they fast-forwarded to current times, the late 1960s, and we're like, now he's now he's had a shield, and, and it's a whole spy thing and all that. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of how he got his start. It was actually in a World War, World War II comic. Um, but yeah, I I like these stories. They're they're pretty interesting. Sometimes I feel like I felt like they were a little unrealistic. Uh, but you know, it, first of all, it's a comic book. Yeah, it's probably always going to be some of that. And second of all, it is, like, these are very old, you know, now these are very old stories. What, like, 50 years old? Yeah. Um, yeah 50 years. Right. Yeah. But, uh, so actually, I think they were probably surprisingly realistic for their time. Just uh, now, sometimes I look at it and I'm like, that, we still don't have this high-tech thing that they were trying to do 50 years ago. Uh, we live in cynical times, anyway. <laughs> this is not real! Yeah. What <laughs> yeah. uh Oh yeah, I like this. Uh, I like this book too. It's got a lot of uh, it's got a lot of good twists and turns and stuff like that. If uh, I'm not gonna spoil anything, but you know, uh, Dick Fury is going up against uh, the Supreme uh, 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 Hydra, Hydra, right? The Supreme Hydra. Yeah. And he disguises himself like multiple times before you get to figure out who the Supreme mm-hmm. Hydra is. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that's actually pretty cool. It's like they should do something like that in the movies. It's like you know, just have the villain keep disguising himself until you know. Mm-hmm. And another thing about it, this guy, he keeps disguising himself as, like, foreigners. It's like hmm. Don Caballero, I, I think, I don't know how to say it. Caballero he's like, Caballero, he was, yeah. like, from South America. And then yeah. it was a uh, Emir Ali Bey. Yeah, yeah, like a Saudi Arabian kind of guy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I think uh, through most of the first half of the book, he's fighting Hydra. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, really high-stakes stuff. Like, Hydra keeps... Uh, I think they first they build their own weapon that's going to like destroy the whole planet basically, and then they steal another weapon from AIM. From AIM yeah. I think it, yeah, I think it was AIM. Uh, oh, and then they I think they steal one from Shield too. Yeah, yeah. they just they they just keep finding these world destroying weapons, I guess. Um, but and then after that, I, I think most of the second half is then against the the Yellow Claw in various oh, yeah. ways. Yeah, uh, like first he. He's fighting um, this invasion of the Statue of Liberty, which looks like an alien invasion, but I guess the Yellow Claw was doing all of it. Um, the Yellow Claw is like a really freaky character. He's, I guess he's like been banished from the Earth or something. That's the way he, <laughs> yeah, how does that work? No, I think he's just a criminal, so he calls it banishment. He's like, well, they want to put me in jail, therefore I'm banished. Uh, I can't go to that planet anymore, because I'll go to jail. Um, so yeah, he builds this like off-world, um, like spaceship as his uh, headquarters or something, and then uh, it's, it's like he can like build all these robots that act like humans. Um, I don't know; it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's, it's freaky, man. So I guess they're like androids or something. Yeah. I'm I'm not sure how they work exactly. Oh no, Captain America's in this book for you. Yeah, yeah. He he makes a, a pretty cool appearance. And I think shortly after this, then, Storenko did, like, three issues of Captain America. Oh, cool. Um, and uh, a lot of people think those were, like, really good issues. It was, like, 105 and 111 and 114 or something. Um, but, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What else is there to talk about? Jim Storenko, Nick Fury. Um, 
Well, one, one odd thing about Jim Steranko is that he, he did this series and a few others, and they were so great, uh, at least as far as the time, and then he, like, gave up on comic books, I guess. Uh, Go out while you're hot. Yeah, he really did. Smart, he, smart idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he suddenly, I think in, like, 1970 or, or something, left comic books to uh, work on movies and things like that. And, uh, I don't know, that's just really freaky to me. Yeah, well, why, mm-hmm. I mean, why do you think Tupac died? <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that was orchestrated, man. You if think Tupac, his death was orchestrated? Yeah, if Tupac was still alive today, he'd be doing reality shows <laughs> with his family and crap. I mean, look at, look at like, like, like DMX. <laughs> he started off as a really hardcore rapper, now he's doing reality shows about, like, <laughs> him getting arrested and all that crap. It's like, come on, dog, for real, though. Man. That's why I never wanted to become a rapper, because I'm like, I, that's going to happen, I know. <laughs> I know it's going to happen. You're going to have a ra- reality show? You're going to be 40 years old, and you can't be talking about selling drugs when you're 40 years old. Like, yeah. People be like, get your shit together, man. <laughs> um, but that's besides the point. Yeah, I'm just thinking, there's not many R&B singers or rappers that like you know get to 50 or 60 and they're still singing about stuff like that. Uh, I kind of feel like James Brown was kind of like the uh, exception to that rule, whereas he... He was still pretty crazy and doing cocaine well, and a, stuff like that. Oh yeah, <laughs> in his sixties. Yeah. Uh, like this old man, this old man is tripping. <laughs> he that old dude on the porch that just <laughs> he just go around, just walking around for no reason. The cocaine has, they just walk around for no reason. They, just, <laughs> they don't even walk in directions. They walk one direction. Five seconds later, they walk in another direction because <laughs> they got a new idea, probably. Yeah. Um, all right. We're back to the, back to the comics. Yeah. Uh, oh, there's a, there's a page thirty. This is not really a. This is a. This is just a funny thing I thought. Mm. Is a part where it's like like Nick Fury and them. They're watching the, <coughs> the blast that's about to come, and it's like the mm. little green, like little lines and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It looks like sperm. It looks like green sperm. <laughs> I think I thought the same thing. Let, like, let me, looks like the incredible. Check that out. Looks like the incredible Hulk sperm. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Like, what would that be like? <laughs> Funny. Um, yeah, there are there are a lot of like strange little touches in here. Um, I feel like his psychedelic. Yeah, I feel like his uh, relationships with like the women were not. It's funny they kind of held back. I guess it, it reminded me a little bit of James Bond's whole like mm-hmm. every woman around him seems to want him. Uh, but he, but he doesn't seem to take them to bed. It's like, uh, if he does, it's totally off panel, which I guess they had to do in the 60s, yeah. you know. Because, like, the Hydra girl, there's, there's a, uh, girl who's the daughter of the current leader, no, the uh, past leader. Laura, uh, Laura Brown. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, she, like, she is totally in love with Nick Fury, it seems. Although, then, like, when they finally get everything back to normal... She's like, ah, I'm off on a shopping spree, and then we don't ever see her again in the comic. <laughs> what the hell is that? Uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like a <laughs> Batman Talia Al Ghul relationship in a minute, in, yeah. in a way. Yeah, yeah kind of sounds like that. Yeah, she she loved him, but she was like very elusive, right? She kept uh, disappearing and stuff. Um, but yeah, and then we have uh, what's her name? Cassandra. Cassandra. I think that's her name. Uh, this special agent who he first like insults, and then they does he say something like 
Like, this is no place for a woman or something. Yeah, like meanwhile, she can completely kick his ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, so then they, like, sort of be- form a begrudging friendship, and uh, and then she, she seems to be getting pretty sentimental about him, in my opinion. Uh, but they, they just never really, uh, I don't know. They never quite say how she feels, I guess. Yeah. But, but, if, but my feeling was like, well, what's going on here? Like, this looks like it's, it's a budding romance, but where's shopping spree girl? You know, he, <laughs> he's, he said he'd be there when she got back. You know, did, what, did she go to Europe and she's still there shopping? I don't know. That was just, yeah, I still think that's really odd. She never got to shop when she was a member of Hydra, so. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's probably it. She had this this really severe life living in the uh, the Hydra Citadel. Confessions of a shopaholic right there. <laughs> yeah. I really, I am loyal to Hydra, but I really just want to shop. <laughs> yeah, she's probably sitting up there in the headquarters looking at the, like their hundred TVs uh, pointed all around the world, and she's like, all those stores, and I can never go in one. <laughs> oh, Gucci shoes, you will be mine? Mm-hmm. That's her evil plan. It's <laughs> a conquer all the Gucci shoes. <laughs> yes. Uh, take over the fashion industry <laughs> and have it all to herself. Uh, but, but there, was her, a, there was a one thing I found interesting. It's like there was a... Oh, man. Where was oh, it? Contessa, I think, is the name of the girl we were calling Cassandra. Uh, yeah, it is Contessa. Yeah, That's okay. Right. There was a one thing I found interesting. It was a... Oh man, this is kind of spoiling it though. <laughs> this is kind of spoiling it though. It's like there's a lot of twists and turns in this book. Yeah, and there's one where it's I don't like, know what you're about to say. Is, do you think it's a big spoiler? It sort of is though, because that's okay. For, okay, I'll say this. Well, one people can thing, skip forward if they want to. Yeah. <laughs> one thing, Nick Fury gets captured a lot. Yes. He always Nick seems Fury, to get captured. Nick yeah. Fury should be a superhero because he gets captured, but he breaks out of it and like yeah, he's I'm gonna beat your ass type deal. He just, yeah. He's like Houdini or something. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it didn't even really make sense to me. It's like they'll lock him in something and they'll be like, they'll turn away from 10 seconds. And apparently that's all it takes for Nick Fury to work his way out of whatever he's in. I mean, that's, I think that's the whole, I think that's the whole super spy genre anyway. That it, yeah. The, there's the, a lot of that. Inept guards that gotta watch them and then they just turn away and they're like, Gino mm-hmm. Chuck! Yeah. That was awesome. Powers reference. <laughs> yeah, and, and I assume they got this from the early James Bond movies. There are a couple instances of the whole uh, bad guy captures you and he's going to kill you, but he's going to do it by way of like putting you underwater most, with a squid. or yeah, The most insignificant <laughs> way possible. Yeah, really, really bizarre ways to kill people. It's like, I mean, like that speech in Austin Powers. Aren't you going to watch them? <laughs> yeah. You could get away. Yeah. No, I'm going to leave them alone and assume everything went to plan. What? <laughs> you should make sure he's dead. Yeah. You're uh, just going to leave him in a cell one up guard. Yeah. You do this every time. Yeah. yeah. I've been a doctor for 40 freaking years. Give me some freaking <laughs> respect, Scott. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. weird. I haven't watched this movie in like 12 years. And yeah. I still know it. I, yeah. I love him. Um, but yeah, if you, if you really, if you're a hardcore... Uh, you know, evil dude, and you want somebody dead, you should probably just shoot him. I, th- I think that's how that's supposed to go. I think that was uh, a complaint I had in, the movie, in that movie, Dark Man. It's like his Darkman. whole hmm. his whole origin just don't make sense. It's like these guys breaking this guy's lab, looking for this deed, and they're like, "Okay, we're gonna kill him. We're gonna kill him in the most complicated <laughs> way possible. Let's burn his hands and then stick him in a vat of acid." 
Because I always got to be a vet acid, right? Oh, my God. He's like, y'all have guns. Just shoot him. He's dead. Problem solved. I'll be honest. <laughs> I can't think if I really saw a dark man. I think I read the comic. It's a... Way back. If you're a Liam Neeson fan... Is that him? Yeah. This is an early Liam. I am a Liam Neeson fan. Okay. Early Liam Neeson movie. I'll have to watch that. Uh, but yeah, so they throw him in a vat of acid, so that's why he's in bandages the whole movie, huh? Yeah. Because okay. his face is all, like, fucked up. And then they blow okay. up his lab, but he manages to survive somehow. It's, they don't explain it. Okay. It's like, the lab blows up, and all of a sudden, he, like, flies out of there. Yeah. He ain't got no superpowers or nothing. He just... But Sam Raimi is a weird director. They put that on the cover <laughs> of the first issue, I think, in Marvel Comics. It's him flying out of the, the building. Um, so he's he's uh, not really a superhero, doesn't have powers. He's just like a massive burn victim who then goes around getting revenge. His superpowers, how he gets superpowers is not from the accident itself. It's like the doctor. Oh, he did get some powers? Yeah, like the okay. doctors like do some shit to him where they cut off all his nerve endings. So he can't oh, feel okay. That sounds familiar, yeah. He can't feel no pain or anything. <laughs> and then, like, they gave him... Because of all the adrenaline he experiences... Yeah. Like, the nerve... They cut the nerve ends off his brain. And then the uh. mind is like, Oh, this is weird. <laughs> it's like... They give him, like, really so crazy he, adrenaline. He gets super okay. strength from that, so... Weird. Yeah. That is such a weird, like, superhero origin, yeah. Which I think is how you started that conversation. Um, man... They should have done more with that. They did do a Dark Man 2, didn't they? Yeah, they... Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, they did. They did, they did two they and three. Did three? three? Yeah. yeah. But they were all direct-to-video. Was like, Neeson and all of them? No. That's why. <laughs> okay. They were all those directed-to-video like movies. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah. We already know it's going to be bad. Uh-huh. Actually, uh, the guy from The Mummy, the the actual mummy, the bad guy, mm-hmm. he played Dark Man in the direct-to-video really? movies. So. Okay. Funny. Um, but yeah, I feel like somebody like DC or Marvel should have bought Darkman and like made that like a real, you know, ongoing super- excuse well, me, superhero thing. Well, like hmm. background for that, it was like Sam Raimi was initially going to do Batman. Oh yeah, back in the day, but they wouldn't give him the rights to that. <laughs> so he went for Darkman. So he so he like created his own superhero. So he like, created it. Yeah, he was like okay. Whoa, fuck it. Okay, that's kind of cool. Huh. Like he wanted uh, to do Batman in the Shadow, but they were like. No, we don't know you. Evil Dead ain't came out yet or nothing. So it's like, okay, we don't know you. We don't know who you think you are getting these rights to these superheroes. So he decided to create his own superhero. So funny. Okay, so that's bad. a little off topic, but yeah, I, think that's pretty inter- I think that was pretty interesting. Actually. Um, but yeah, uh, that might be about it. But yeah, I, I really highly recommend this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, this book, it, if you're looking for it, it's called Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And it's a it's a trade paperback with a white cover, and uh, it was kind of I think it was the first time this these issues had ever been collected in in any kind of uh, you know collected trade paperback yeah any trade. any collected edition. So uh, and it's still uh, not that easy to find. So anyway, but yes, I, I highly suggest it. A very unusual stuff. Like it's not very often when you read a '60s comic book and you're like actually surprised by the artwork. Um, yeah. Very often. If so. you're like an art junkie like me, as far as comics, I mm-hmm. recommend this book very much. It'll like it'll capture an artwork and story storyline is pretty good too. Okay, mm-hmm. we I'm not gonna spoil it. <laughs> There's so much stuff to talk about. I'm not gonna spoil it. So pick it up. Yes. Nick Fury Agent of Shield, Steranko and Company. Are you wanting to spoil like the twists at the end or stuff like that? I saw her do, but I like I don't <laughs> want to do that because like somebody might get mad and be like, Yeah, oh, you spoiled it. Mm-hmm. 
There, yes, there are definitely some very good twists, uh, but we will refrain from telling you, I guess. Um, but, okay, I guess that's, that's about it for us. And uh, if you want to check out my other podcast, it's called Comics I Read You. And that's literally what I do. What, often it's like me playing characters and it's a comedic kind of thing. But, um, and uh, I forget, is there anywhere people can look you up? Uh, just look me up on Facebook, Cameron yes. Cooper. Yes, okay. friendly. Uh, come out to the latch string on Wednesday nights, mm. nine o'clock. If you live in Fort Wayne, live in the Fort Wayne area, come out to the latch strings. Mm-hmm. This week we got Courtney White hosting, and Cody East is headlining. Mm. Speaking of that, let me plug his show in. Curly's every <laughs> Sunday. Yes, that's a cool show. Yeah, go to go to that show too. Um, and also, if you're in Northeast <coughs> Indiana, uh, look up uh, Fort Wayne Comedy Improv. It is open to the public. Anybody can walk in and just start doing crazy, silly scenes. So. Uh, Yes, check that out. And we will see you later.